Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, we're going to be taking a peek into the world of gravel racing. For the first time ever, Bikes for Death is going to look onto the other side of the fence into the gravel race scene and see what's shaken. We've seen quite a few riders from the gravel scene come and check out bikepacking. I'm thinking of like Payson McKelvin, Ted King, Lachlan Morton, to name a few. And on this episode, we're going to be dipping our toe in the gravel race scene, courtesy of the Red Granite Grinder that took place about a week ago in Wausau, Wisconsin. You may remember that Shane Hitz was on the podcast recently. He was on at episode 125, and we were talking all things Wisconsin, bikepacking, and gravel. Well, the Red Granite Grinder is a race that Shane put together and is the race director for, and the longest distance is 144 miles, and that route takes riders on many different terrains and mixed surfaces. Shane manages relationships with 20 different landowners or land managers to get access to areas that can only be accessed during this race, which is really neat and makes it a really unique and fun adventure and challenge. And after that episode, uh, Shane wanted to bring me out to check out Wisconsin for myself. So I was there at the Red Granite Grinder doing some media, doing some podcasting. But now I am back in Texas and ready to get back to some podcasting. We've been silent a little bit over here, mostly just due to travel and haven't been able to put out an episode. So uh, my apologies. And we're going to fix that right now. So today's episode is going to be four different segments from people at the Red Granite Grinder. So the first segment is going to be with Chris Schatz, and he is a local who, as you'll be able to tell from his segment, has a bunch of bunch of stories about the area and could probably talk all day. So we start off with Chris. He's going to tell us a little bit about the area, and then we're going to speak with Matty Rowe who was the first place male finisher of the 144 route. And then we're going to talk to Maria Stats, who was the first place female winner of the 144 route. And then we're going to close it out with Shane Hitz, who again is the director of the Red Granite Grinder. And before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about an event the Bikes for Death is hosting coming up in a couple of weeks. We are going to be at Mulberry Gap in LSJ, Georgia for the first ever Bikes for Death takeover. We've been talking about it for a while, and if you've been on the fence, maybe now is the time to sign up. The weather is looking absolutely amazing. We've got a great panel of presenters, and the stoke is high. So if you've been on the fence, maybe now is a great time to check out the registration details. I'll put those in the show notes for you. But I'll give you a quick, quick recap right now. Day one on Thursday, we're going to get there Thursday, November 10th. 
and we're going to be doing a bikepacking overnighter that's going to be very accessible, we hope, to everybody. We're going to have either two or three route options available anywhere from like nine miles up to like 15 miles. These are all very doable. Some are gravel only, some mix in single track. And so you will be able to pick the route that makes the most sense for you. We're going to have ride leaders on each one of these routes so that nobody will get left behind. Everybody will get their way to camp and everybody will have a good time. After we get back on Friday, we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff. We have three great presenters lined up for you, starting with Scotty Lechuga. We also have Eddie O'Day, who just finished the first ever completion of the Eastern Divide route. And our very own Maxwell Johnston is going to be there uh, sharing some of his favorite photographs, sharing some of his stories, sharing some photographs that didn't turn out. And he's also going to be sharing some of his tips on how to be a visual storyteller in the bikepacking space. And then after Maxwell's presentation, we're going to go on a little group ride and give people a chance to practice those tips. We're also doing a scavenger hunt, and we have live music with a local country artist. We've got beer and bonfire. We've got lots of fun stuff. It's all going to be a great time, and it's going to be even made better with your participation. So for more information about the first ever takeover, check out the link for registration info in the show notes, and I look forward to seeing you there in about two weeks. All right, well, let us take a moment to thank the people that make these episodes possible. We certainly couldn't do without support, and we appreciate everyone who is able to support the podcast. Starting out with our latest group of new patrons, we'd like to welcome Tim Rowand and Steve Bishop. Thank you all so much for signing up to be sustaining members of the Bikes for Death podcast. Now, Hefe.bike is still matching contributions. So both of your contributions will be doubled thanks to Hefe Bike. And if you are interested in supporting these shows and making sure that they come into your feed on a weekly and consistent basis, you can find out how to support this show over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Now, today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Kuat. We always talk about Kuat on this podcast because they make the best damn bike racks on the planet. But when I was up in Wisconsin, I rode in snow for the first time, and a lot of the people that I met along the way are also heavily into cross-country skiing or all kinds of snow sports, and it made me realize that maybe I should let y'all know that Kuat doesn't just make great products for transporting your bike, but they also have a great selection of products to transport your snow gear to the hills, to the mountains, wherever you're going to go and get them back safely. So if you're one of those crazy people that likes to go play in the snow, uh, don't forget about Kuat. Go check out all the products that they have available for all you cross-training enthusiasts and all you snowbirds out there. And one of my favorite things about Kuat is their no worries warranty. They offer this on all their products, whether it's a bike rack or a ski rack. So don't worry, because with Kuat, they got your rack and they got your back. All right, everybody, that is it. Let's get into today's episode. But first, let's have my friend Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. 
You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. So, yeah, where are you from? Where do you live? I grew up in Irma, and now I live in Bloomville. So we're north of here. Um, our stomping grounds is kind of on the north side of the Red Granite Grinder course, our family hunting grounds where my dad was taking his gang of brothers and getting deer back in the 40s. So uh, it's kind of it's cool that uh, everybody's going out to these secret spots that Shane has found. So he's found a lot of the secret spots and. uh Instead of staying on these wide boulevard gravels, we're going on some two-track and little single-track fire lane that my wife was out mowing a couple weeks ago at the creek crossing. What? Uh, how did you get into cycling? I don't know. I was a mountain biker back in 85 when people didn't know what mountain bikes were, and I kind of went from there. Um, you know, mountain bike races in 87 were a little bit different. We were all on ski trails and... That was cool, and it's kind of gone from there. Um, and uh, I've been doing gravel for, I don't know, 10 years or so, and now gravel's turned into a thing. I can't really win the races anymore because the fast guys show up. <laughs> so have you all seen, like, the gravel scene uh, kind of explode out here? Yeah, it used to be a fringe thing with a handful of races. There's one I've put on for over 10 years, and it's starting to be a— little bit of a thing we oh, only yeah? charge 25 bucks for it but uh yeah there's gravel all over the place what race across, do you what race do you run um that'd be the burger 95 it turned into a two-day stage race this year because there's this young feller who's so young i went to high school with his dad um casey hildebrand is a you know fast national cross guy but we made it a two-day stage race with a 95 mile and then 125 mile and uh, it turned out it was so tough, there were only about four of us who got the two days done. Oh, wow. And we have a free one in June, the TTT 103 that goes over Wisconsin's highest point, which is like 1,950-some feet. It's not a mountain, but it's a climb for us. Where I come from, that's a mountain. Okay. We'll count it. <laughs> I come from Texas where, yeah, I mean, we don't have much elevation gain there either unless you get out in, like, far west Texas. What makes your your route so hard? Did you intend for it to be that difficult? Well, we didn't want to keep it um, all on these boulevard farm gravel. It's got uh, fire lanes and stuff. We're in ATV country when we get up north, so you get a few rocks, and Casey put— An ATV country? Yeah, I mean, there's ATV trails all over the place. Yeah. and uh, it's, a, One thing that's kind of crazy about this area, I've never seen it anywhere I've ever been in my entire life, but— there's a bunch of roads that are designated for ATVs or, uh, I don't, I don't really even understand what's going on there, but it's, I guess essentially ATVs are allowed on public roads in a lot of areas here. Yeah. That's kind of been a change in the last 10 years politically where ATV clubs have asked permission to get on certain roads, whether it connects town to town or bar to bar. 
they have designated trails up in the hills. Um, you know, this Red Granite Grinder course is kind of on the boundary between farm country and Northwoods in Wisconsin. Mm. And the north end of the course is in the Northwoods where Wisconsin changes to uh, just wilderness and trees that go on forever. And of course, um, instead of wide farm gravel, you got your hunting gravel and two tracks all over the place and uh, and your designated ATV trails in certain parts. Wow, that's awesome. It's very unique. How how does the community around here, since you've been here forever, or at least for the last 51 years, but how does how receptive is the community to cyclists, uh, especially like, you know, as, as it seems like it's growing? And I mean, there's, what, around 300 people that showed up for this race yeah. we're on today. And, uh, you know, a few of the leaders of Wausau um, have really embraced it, and it's turned into a it was a risk at first, but it's turned into a big thing, and it's paid off where you get people from all over the place coming to Wausau to ride our gravel. Uh, I'm from the little town where you kind of nurture the relationship with your traditional northern Wisconsin hunters and ATVers, and, you know, I'm friendly with them out in the woods, and when I'm putting on a mountain bike race in Lincoln County and the bear hunters are running dogs that same morning, I just wave and say, keep it interesting, we're doing a race, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they've, we've had them chase bears right through the uh, race sometimes, and uh, it freaks out the city slickers a little bit, but <laughs> I think it's it's fun, and that's why people come up here, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, our mountain bike trail overlaps with the horse trail, okay. and we... I coordinate with them, and it works out. Yeah, because you, you kind of got to do that, and uh, people have uh, respected the trail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all I uh, think uh, outdoor recreation. There's a lot of ways to do it, and it's a good idea to respect other people, and hopefully they'll uh, share that respect back to you for sure. Have you done much riding in other other areas? Yeah, I, um, you know, did that. Uh, Sky Islands trip with Shane oh, okay. in March, and uh, we get down to Arkansas, and we'll do three Thanksgivings in a row by Brown County, Indiana, where they have a real cool gravel gravel Saturday after Thanksgiving, which is our kind of stuff, where it's um, gravel roads, but hills and single tracks and just muddy ravines and just some crazy stuff in there. Yeah. And uh, we... Uh, Spent a lot of summers up in the UP of Michigan, where we've been building trail, and uh, we've been, I've been getting around for forever. I remember going to college in Colorado in '91 when it was still an infant sport and uh, fringy. I wonder how you got into cycling in the very beginning. I mean, living out here, I can't imagine in 87 or whatever you said it was, there was a vibrant cycling community and you know lots of mountain bike trails. So. I'm kind of curious how you even found yourself in that scene at such an early stage. I mean, it's even early in mountain biking. Yeah, you know, it kind of started uh, through a few uh, Nordic skiers got into it, and we were using our same Nordic ski trails back then for riding because there was no single track. The Schwamigan Fat Tire Fest had been going on for a while, and that turned into a big thing, you know. By today's standards, it's kind of a road race on gravel roads and big wide ski trails, but uh, it was pretty cutting edge at the time. And uh, my dad started putting on a race in 89 that uh, went for a while, and we were getting 300 racers to show up in the middle of nowhere to ride ski trails because 
there were only a handful of races in the Midwest, and there was a little Midwest Point Series with like three in Wisconsin, two in Iowa, and three in Minnesota, and uh, kind of went on for there, and, and it kind of worked for my short, crooked legs. <laughs> I wasn't much of a runner, and uh, then I took it for a year out in Colorado, and uh, was on the Diamondback team in Gunnison, and got to see Dave Weens, but he would just take off, of course, um, and do nine repeats of Tenderfoot Mountain. Legendary, man. Legendary. So, the Red Granite Grinder, uh, how many times have you done this one? This would have been my third if my trailer would have stayed put, but I got it done a couple times. How many How many years has this one been running? This is the fourth this year. This is the fourth year, okay. So the, the first year, it was a little small, and I was the first one down Rib Mountain, but that doesn't happen anymore. There's some big guns that show up, <laughs> and uh, and it's grown, and Shane has added you know, more surprise twist on the private land. He puts a lot of work into his route planning and... Um, my wife and I are sometimes the only ones who go on his scouting trips because he takes us on hard stuff and everybody's afraid of him. Um, but we put up with him and it's cool. <laughs> but people see uh, the three of us on a ride on Strava and they're like, oh, I'm glad I went on that thing. Because <laughs> uh, we'll be on some sandy ATV trail up in northern Wisconsin, just checking it out for the first time to make sure right. anybody else would want to go. <laughs> right. Shane seems to have a reputation for, um, yeah, hard, challenging routes that uh, uh, kind of turn off other riders is what I'm learning through talking to other people. Is that accurate? Yeah. We both have a bad reputation for that kind of <laughs> stuff. They, they, my friends have turned my name into a verb. <laughs> if uh, some bike is wrecked or somebody's been wrecked on some hard ride, they just say you've been shotsed. Oh, you've been shotsed. And now that I'm, or now or you've now been shitsed. Because that's Shane S hits is shits. Yeah, when he when he uh, borrowed his wife's car to go out to Arizona, it said Mrs. Hits. I know. I but saw of it last we, night. <laughs> of course, that turned into Mr. Mr. Shits. Mr. Shits. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can get shits and shots in the same ride. And uh, now that my now that I'm married, people can get double shots because uh, my wife has a reputation for going through some hard rides that the guys won't go on with what is it about the rides i mean you know adventure cycling usually the challenge the type two fun is is kind of one of the things that attracts you to it what's so challenging about the routes that y'all are i don't know but we we seem to be out there all day you know shane will have a ride that starts at seven in the morning and bring lights because he might need the lights at the end of the day and uh so Not very, like, ever, exploratory. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to get into. Yeah. Um, Things could go and wrong. Well, I just trust Shane. We go on these five-day bike packs, and I don't really glance at the road ahead of time. And if Shane tries to tell me, oh, we're going to see this new thing, I say, no, nope, no spoilers. <laughs> just surprise me. Yeah. And uh, we'll be hiking through the tall grass or the mud or finding some secret waterfall. Yeah. And uh, it's cool that way. But uh, yeah, it's some a, people like to know what's coming up and... Yeah, I get that. I think it, what, one thing I always thought would be neat is if I, I've had this idea that I would like to do for the podcast or through Bikes for Death one day, but um, essentially, like, I would know the route, 
but anybody who participates, all they know is what kind of bike to bring, how much food, how much supplies, like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, how many days you'll be gone, but no other information. Because to me, you know, part of the fun is the adventure, what's around the corner, the unknown of, of, of what be, could be coming. But then you have the safety net of like, well, Shane has a route, Shane knows what's mm -hmm. going on. So you can just sit back and enjoy the experience, see something new. And, you know, we live in a day with so much technology and so, so much information. And that is, that's wonderful because it's getting more and more people into cycling and out on their bikes. But I think there's there's a lot of value for me at least in yeah that being surprised by something. Yeah, that reminds me of the Trans Iowa where you get your paper cue sheets and your odometer reading, and that got you 50 miles, and then you got the second set of cue sheets mm -hmm. out in the middle of the boonies, and that got you the next 150 miles or whatever, mm -hmm. and then you got your next cue sheet. So nobody knew the route, but you just had to trust guitar Ted's route and uh, eventually those cue sheets were spot on yeah yeah, <laughs> not, yeah not that's always. awesome man that's awesome um, so uh, what route were you doing today I was on the 144 today um, how would you for people who aren't you know familiar I mean just listening I mean and uh, how would you describe the 144 course and so maybe you didn't see the whole thing this year but well, you've done it before yeah it's similar to uh, last year and there's a uh, a write-up with the history behind it on the uh, Iron Bowl website. Uh, but it, it starts with, you know, one day a year climbing over Rib Mountain, which is a is a mountain for us, and you hike a, a mile and a half in a conga line with people. Then some more gravel, some ducking through some two tracks in the Wassa School Forest, and uh, nine mile, then a lot of wide farm gravel, great, you know, colorful leaves. Um, single track right here in Edgar, which is kind of some old school Rudy stuff, right when you think you're on a road ride. <laughs> um, and of course, they took a railroad grade into town here. I was and, just in that uh, that single track area taking pictures. Is that the place I was in mm -hmm. taking pictures of? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought they mowed it just for y'all, but I guess runners use it too. And yeah, I, I don't know if it's their high school cross-country course or, yeah. or something, but then you get up into the real remote country where my dad ran from the game warden back in the 40s and <laughs> stuff like that where uh, you know there's a lot of secret history behind the old lumber camps from the turn of the last century and uh, you know homesteaders who would trap and walk out of the woods with a backpack full of furs and moonshine back in there there's you know Whiskey Bill and Boom Decker Becker and the uh, Adolf Getz who supposedly helped Babyface Nelson escape really? by confiscating his mail truck and wound up with a whole bunch of property <laughs> secretly afterwards that my Merrill folks were always suspicious of. And you go on some railroad grades in there and, uh, you know, back through the farm country of the Pomeranians back into Wausau and Billy Goat Hills near Brokaw where you're seeing the gravel that makes this a red granite grinder, mm. you know, this unique kind of gravel that makes gives us great gravel, you know, roads around here. Um, and then you're into the big city again. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it's a big city. <laughs> uh, so one thing that, I mean, the area here is beautiful. Like you said, the, the leaves are changing. 
in Texas, we don't even have fall. I mean, we go from summer to winter and we just skip all the leave changing and the beauty. And yesterday we went on a ride and it was snowing. It's the first time I ever rode in snow and all the trees were dusted with snow. And I mean, it was just, it was magical. Uh, so this area in general, I find to be beautiful. Uh, one of the things that's really stood out to me is how uh, the the lack of population density, especially once you get out of town, um, I mean, you'll go and not see a house, not see cars, not see people for, I don't know, hours. Yeah, you, know? you go on a ride and you'll see a, a car an hour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're on the fringe of, you know, real snow country where there is fat bike grooming all over the place in northern Wisconsin. You know, Wausau's got a few, you know, a couple spots. I groom 5 to 25 miles. And then Rhinelander has a couple, and Monaco's got a couple, and then you're in the UP, and there's more grooming. You can spend just so much time riding single track in winter. Yeah. The thing that I think makes this particular route um, really neat and probably special is all the work Shane has done, as you mentioned, to um, access all kinds of land that you can only access while you're doing this ride. Do you know about some of the places he's uh, accessed that are pretty neat? Yeah, and um, from the last year's route, um, I know they took uh, a private land route past a remote lake, and Shane had a few chance meetings with the landowner out in the woods and talked his way. You know, he's a he's got a soft touch when he's <laughs> negotiating things, and got permission to uh, do it. Um, you know, that's the the hard time-consuming stuff about making a route is dealing with a lot of municipalities and getting everybody coordinated. Mm-hmm. He puts a ton of time into it. You see his Strava, and he's all over the place um, yeah. scouting things and exploring, and he's not getting tired of it yet. He's got a ton of miles on him. Yeah, he's a strong rider. I was riding with him, and, uh, yeah, he, that boy can ride. Yep. <laughs> What's your favorite uh, thing about the Red Granite Grinder in particular? Well, I like all those surprises. You know, I was really looking forward to riding this single track here in Edgar um, before my derailleur disappeared, but um, I'll be back, and this is my neck of the woods. I don't need to ride it just on race day. And then the secret spots up in Newwood, mm-hmm. you know, the county land that is just goes for miles and miles and miles with no building and... Uh, Going down Rib Mountain was fun. I still got to do that. Yeah, Rib Mountain is sweet. It was all dusted with snow this morning. Yeah, and uh, that downhill, you know, open just one day a year, is uh, you always separates the roadies from the mountain bikers. And you can tell on the downhill who can jump over the railroad ties and who's gonna gingerly, you know, sneak around them. So that's only open for this race. Yep. Um, because it goes through a state park, and you know the mile or two that we walk up there, it's it'd be tough on a beefy mountain bike. Mm-hmm. So it's probably good that it's a hike. People could try to ride it, and people racing through those, you know, twisty rocks would be kind of a disaster. So we just get in the conga line, and we're patient because it's a 144 mile ride. You can just chill and start racing after that. Yeah. Give your legs a rest for a second. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, or use some different muscles. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a trick, um, walking slippery rocks on bike shoes. 
Oh, Some yeah. were kind of up and down. I remember the first year of this thing, the leader scooted up Rib Mountain, but he was on uh, road shoes with probably look pedals with that big cleat that mm-hmm. is like a it was like, it's like a tap block. shoes. Oh, yeah. And so I scooted past him on the on the walk. So I was in the lead for a while. <laughs> but uh, that was last year or this that year? That was that was the first year of this event. Um, three years ago, last year, I was on the Fargo, so I got the KOM down the mountain. Okay, <laughs> that was a very forgiving safety bike, but it was, it's a, it's a trade-off, you know. Was, Riding blacktop with a Fargo with the twenty-nine plus tires, you work a little harder, but yeah. on this single track here and going down Rib Mountain, it's a, it's a fun bike. So, what were your goals going in today today's race? What bike did you bring? It looked like you brought a, a you had some bags on it and stuff. Yeah, well, I, I I need somewhere to put my jacket. You know, going through town, I had the jacket on, and as soon as I hit Rib Mountain with that two mile climb, I unzipped and then took it off at the top. Uh, my goal was just to get done and have fun. Um, there were five of us race directors who put together a thing called the Iron Bear One Thousand because we all knew each other and we had races going on all across northern Wisconsin. And I was the last man standing, <laughs> so uh, nobody's going to finish the Iron Bear 1000 this year because my bike broke and uh, just as well. <laughs> um, so I wanted to get done and have a good time. What happened to your bike? Uh, we were just entering a little bit of new single track or two track Shane found behind State Park Speedway, and suddenly the derailleur was off. The hanger broke. Hmm. Uh, I don't think his stick got in there or or what. I think he just mashed it too hard? Might have mashed torquey? it too hard. Um, that was a derailleur hanger we had just put on because last week I was doing the next to last event in the Iron Bear 1000. And, you know, I'd ridden tens of thousands of miles without crashing and some little bit of gravel as I was having a conversation. Don, I went and my helmet was broke. And uh, the bike might have taken a hit. We thought we had her fixed. So it could have been just one of those quirky yeah. things where your little derailleur hanger is your weakest link. Did you, you, I guess you didn't bring an extra one, huh? That was the spare. That was the spare. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, the week before, yeah, I lost one. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, I've lost, it's really embarrassing, but because of, you know, bikes for death, I'm always taking pictures. And so... I've I broke more derailleur hangers than I care to admit from the bike falling over and just snapping it. So I've definitely learned to always have a couple extra derailleur hangers. Yeah, on the, on the Fargo, I've I've got the whole spare. I don't know what that's called. That big adjustable hanger that they yeah, put on the there. Alternator or something. Alternator yeah, dropout. Um, maybe because uh, when you ride in non traditional trails where there could be some sticks or who knows what um stuff can happen yeah you know i had to spare through that whole five-day bike pack in arizona where shane was taking us on arizona trail you know he went above and beyond the regular sky islands trip no mechanical difficulties for any of us Hmm. and then i was on a little race around wisconsin and there it went um that's a, that's a bummer. But you were saying that uh, before we started recording that it may not be the worst thing because you got a trip coming up with Shane. Yeah, Shane uh, 
has a four-day trip planned starting Thursday. And, uh, you know, riding this 144 miles in the cold when I wasn't feeling 100% anyways would have made that a tough recovery. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be in the 30s and 40s for our four-day bike pack. So uh, you might want to be 100% for that thing. Where are y'all headed? It's over in Marinette County, mostly, um, kind of on the northeast corner of Wisconsin. Shane loves riding sand for some reason, and uh, I think we can get him a bag of sand for Christmas. <laughs> but uh, there's a you know a great place to eat, you know, these remote corner cafes and bars up in there, and he finds the secret waterfalls. Um, he loves the Nicolet National Forest, yeah, which. Uh, is there and toward a Nicolay? Yep, and it uh, stretches up into Michigan. In uh, June, we have a bike pack race that goes up into Michigan, camps out, and comes back, called the Crystal Bear because it goes to Crystal Falls, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, same kind of Nicolay National Forest gravel with a few secrets thrown in that some we're going to see next weekend, like this weird place called the Spread Eagle Barrens where the terrain just changes and it feels like a little bit like being in the Badlands of North Dakota where you can see everything. It's, you know, around here we have trees forever, so sure. we can't hardly see the terrain. And then we go out to the Badlands to do the Matahe and imagine this is what Wisconsin would look like without the trees on it. Yeah, it is always interesting to yeah, have, be able to, like, see for a very long time. I come, You know, we have a lot of trees where I'm from, and anytime I get to an area that's real sparse, it's always a neat experience, I think. Although I like the trees, too. They block the wind and the sun during the summer. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, you appreciate the trees when you're on the Matahay 100 and there's no trees. Mm-hmm. And if there's a little bush, there'll be four people clustered under it for shade. Um, it gets pretty roasty. Yeah. I don't know why North Dakota is so roasty. It's down near Canada. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't expect that. I've never been up this far north before. This is the furthest north I've ever been, so... I didn't even bring, uh, I mean, I had to like borrow clothes. I brought shorts and tea. I brought sandals. I mean, I, oh, it, but I was looking at the weather like a couple of days before. The weather was going to be like 60s and stuff. Yeah, so. it, it caught me off guard. You know, every year it gets cold and it catches off us off guard. And yesterday I was at school and the kids look out the window. It's snowing as if they'd never seen <laughs> snow before. But every year, first snow of the year, people act like they'd never seen it before. <laughs> Well, good. I'm not the only one because I looked out the window of my hotel yesterday. I was like, it's snowing. I sent my daughter a video. You know, I mean, it's exciting. <laughs> well, appreciate it, man. I'm going to get back on course and uh, catch some of these riders. Um, bet. Sorry for your misfortune, but I appreciate you uh, filling me in on some of the, the local knowledge of the course and just the area. I'm really, really enjoying my time here. And all the people are super nice. Yeah, it's uh, Midwest nice, they say. I don't know. I grew up here. Yeah. I guess we're nice. People say that about Texas, too, and I'm like, yeah, I guess so, but I grew up here, so I don't know any anything different, and I didn't expect people to like be mean. The thing that's really uh, surprised me, though, in a good way, is how slow everybody drives here. I brought it up at dinner, and and a couple of people were like, yeah, I drive either at or below the speed limit. And, I mean, I love it from a cyclist perspective, Mm -hmm. but where I'm from, I mean, everybody thinks they're a race car driver Mm -hmm. and very aggressive driving, and it really sucks. And I've never been anywhere where people drive so just 
probably the way people should drive. Just mm-hmm. they're they're all, they're all drive, driving the speed limit. Nobody's cutting each other off. Nobody's honking and flipping the you know flip, flipping you the bird or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been watching. You know, I've been following the race, and anytime a car is interacting with the cyclist, they're I mean, they're either they're just giving them all the space in the world and going way around and waiting if they need to wait. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's just been really neat. And so I, I don't know. I just have this feeling that up here, uh, it seems like life is a little calmer. There's not as many stressors. There's not as many. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. It just seems like a, a slower, calmer, maybe a way of living. Well, it's far. <laughs> good, to, good to hear. <laughs> I've always been up here. And, like, uh, well, you I must like we, it. You haven't left yet. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to retire to right where I grew up because uh, we've got 30 some miles of trail there, and yeah, they're right out the back door, and somebody's got to take care of them too. But uh, I, I thought we drove fast, but I guess we <laughs> drive properly. That's good to hear. From my perspective, y'all Texas. I want to take some of this back to Texas. That's all I'm saying. Well, appreciate it, man. Nice meeting you. You too. Maddie Rowe. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm so good. You back in East Texas? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Pretty east. I'm I'm like right on the border of Central and East Texas. Um, but I guess you're maybe thinking about my race, the East Texas showdown. Dude, the craziest thing, I was just somebody just hit me up to put together a training plan for that. So I was checking it out. And then uh I was looking you up a little bit, and then I realized, Jesus, like, this is your race, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's mine. So somebody yeah. contacted you yeah. to help develop a training route or a training plan for my race. That's yeah, exciting. Yeah, they said, I, I've never done this. I've only done the MS-150, and I want to do the, not the bigger one, but the slowdown. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So she didn't have a she didn't have a power meter, very little experience. So I just put together like a ride a lot plan. Oh, cool! Yeah, get I mean, just miles. Even the slowdown is like pretty major, man. Like a hundred <laughs> miles. Two eighty, yeah, two eighty, yeah, yeah. So we have the we have the lowdown, which is a non-competitive ride, yeah, and that's a hundred and seventy, and that's new for this year. And we're pretty much going to have like mandatory camping halfway. I mean, you don't have to, but we're not tracking your time or anything like that. And then, yeah, then the next step up is the 280. And then you can go for the 400. And then maybe after that, you're ready for the Tour Divide or Colorado Trail or Arizona Trail or something like that, you know. And so it's really the whole event is and really i stole heavily from gravel you know because my whole idea with that event was to bring like the gravel community vibe into bike packing whereas i don't know how familiar you are with bike packing and and you know those races but a lot of times you finish historically to an empty parking lot or you know a gate in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody there and so Really, the the thing I wanted to bring together was an opportunity for the community to to get together and hang out and share a beer and a burger and you know share their war stories or uh, hopefully they're not all war stories but there's going to be some scrapes along the way usually. 
gotta be if you're gonna be running that long yeah well that's really exciting that um i mean the event is just kind of taken off and it's really surprising um i think people are just kind of curious to maybe come check out texas and i wasn't really expecting it to be as well received and it's crazy to hear that people are like hiring coaches just to train for which is great like that's what i want to do as a race director is like give people a carrot, something to shoot for, a goal, and then give them the opportunity to go put it to use, you know? And so yeah. right on, man, that's super cool. Yeah. No, I was checking it out. It looks really cool. I, I guess I never even considered like going to East Texas, but I like New Mexico, so. <laughs> it's way different. <laughs> I should check out more of, uh, more of the world, you know? Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, scheduling this interview right at Beer 30. So cheers, amigo. Yeah, cheers. Or is that your uh, Miller Lite? That's yeah. your signature Miller Lite? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's you, just easier. Are you sponsored by them yet? Or are you still working on it? Uh, I'm still working on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe after this podcast, it'll happen for you. The <laughs> <laughs> dream come true. <laughs> yeah, for real. No kidding, man. I tried to get like a, a bourbon. Uh, I'd still like to get a bourbon sponsor because bourbon and bikepacking, you know, because you can't take beer bikepacking. It's too heavy. It's too bulky. You got to go with, you know, bourbon, obviously. Um, so it is the drink of, of bikepacking, I think. So I think there's a good tie in there, but still working on it. Absolutely. Got to get on board. Well, congrats. Uh 144 miles, first place. And if my math is correct, you averaged 18 miles an hour. Is that right? I didn't even look. Um, you mean like moving time? It's just from start to finish. Your total time was eight hours, 45 minutes, over 145 miles or 44. And I just did the math and it came out to right at 18 miles an hour. I think that, I think it was slower. I thought the original time was like under 17 yeah really interesting yeah, yeah it was slower this year for sure okay um, for fun reasons because there was more fun stuff yeah more uh like little fun sections that he threw in yeah i mean that's like part of the reason this race is so cool it's just like it's fun little sections but it like I feel like there's a sweet spot with promoters where like some people just make it like champagne rolling gravel roads and that's not that cool. And there's like others that go the other side and it's like in the middle of the course, you're like climbing up a ladder and like jumping off a waterfall and you're kind of like, <laughs> ah, you know, like that's too extreme. Like you're just trying to make a name for yourself in kind of a gimmicky way. But this is like a nice sweet spot. So I really appreciate the taste of the course, I would say. Yeah, that's great feedback. I mean, um, I didn't get to see all 144 miles. I got to see quite a bit of it. But one thing that makes it really unique is I actually interviewed Shane for this episode as well, the race director. And I asked him like how many individual like land managers he has to work with to get access to all those different unique features. And he, he has 20 different contacts or more that he has to, he had to find them, reach out to them, build a relationship with them, and then maintain that relationship just to be able to put together, together that course. And you can only ride it for his race. So it's yeah. pretty, pretty sweet. And that was, that, that seemed to be the overall feedback from people was they really liked, um, 
yeah, the unique approach, but it wasn't like too wacky. It was like a good, good balance. Yeah. Was that your first year to go? Nope. This is my second year. Oh, sweet. Yep. Before we talk about it, I wanted to actually get a little background on you and uh, find out like how you even got into cycling, how you got into gravel. Did you come in from road or mountain biking or? Yeah. So I, um, I came from the road. I still race road actually out in Colorado on a team called team Rio Grande. So they do all the, they're like a cat one team that does all the NRC stuff. Um, but I'm kind of unique in that I came to this sport pretty late. Like I was a cross country skier. Uh, I got into that and in Wausau, that's where I grew up. I grew up in that area. Oh, uh, and with that finish actually where you took that photo, that's like, that was like my high school driving route. Like I, I literally lived a couple of hills back in that picture. No way. Yeah. No way. That is yeah. a beautiful area for the people listening. There was a, a, it was right at the end of the race, probably for you. I think it was like mile 137 or something out of 144 is right at the end. And, uh, I think it's called Billy goat goat Hill. And it's got a couple, uh, really big rollers with like 20, 22% grade. Um, it's a real kick in the teeth at the end of a already long day, I would think. But I you three, la- go ahead. I was, I was laughing to myself because um, I was one of three and uh, this guy, uh, Hayden Pucker, super strong young kid. We were going up the middle Billy Gelt and he was like, we were kind of sprouted across the road and it's so steep. Um, and he was on the left side, like going up. And I can remember in high school, like ripping my 92 Honda Civic over that crest so hard that I would get a little air. And I just have this flashback and I just yelled at him. I'm like, you need to get to the right, man. Cause you have no idea what kind of Wahoo is going to come through here. And if somebody rips over that hill, they're just going to like, they're not going to be able to stop. So you need to get over. Um, but I, <laughs> I was just laughing to myself cause it probably looked to him like I was, like trying to make him go like farther across the road and slow him down. Uh, no, I saw some, uh, yeah, I saw some creative driving. Well, I posted up on that one shot to get those pictures for about an hour and a half. And I definitely saw some creative driving that was happening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there's nothing wrong with. So, uh, so when did you make the move over to gravel and what, what kind of brought you into the gravel world? Uh, last year, my first race was unbound. So I did that. And that was, um, it it was a, I had a pretty terrible race. It was super hot. I didn't know how to hydrate. And it was a kind of year where you like, as you're riding, it goes after about mile 150 to a race to like, basically everybody, but three people are just trying to finish. And you just see like people like taking naps under trees and dying and cramping and like standing and looking into the sunset and you like <laughs> you pass people and you're like hey man are you okay <laughs> no answer and you're like all right good luck <laughs> do you oh. want me to call somebody yeah blink if you're alive yeah give me a little something here bud <laughs> uh and i'm just a strange person that way i like i just fell in love with it like it's such a Gravel to me is like a play. I, I, I kind of see it as three distinct s- stages. Um, you know, the opening act, the middle act, and the last act. So there's so much that can go on, so much that goes into every race. I love the roads they take us on, the vibe compared to like 
road is so much better. It's so much more friendly. I've always thought if I have a bad race on the road, you just feel horrible. You just, you know, and like you've invested so much, you probably traveled somewhere and spent a lot of money. And then like everybody's so cutthroat and then you just get dropped and like no one wants to talk to each other. And maybe it's not even that cool of a course. So you just get pulled. But, you know, like in this last weekend, if I would have had a flat or something else would have gone wrong, like worst case scenario, I'm just having a nice long ride in beautiful central Wisconsin in the middle of fall. Yeah. Worst case scenario. Yeah. You can handle that. Yeah. Worst case scenario. And at the end of it, there's a party and I can grab a beer and a burger, like you said, and it's a great time. Um, so I just, that was just last year. And I just have continued to kind of travel around. I do have a family, so, you know, I can't necessarily justify doing it every, you know, going weekend to weekend to weekend to weekend. Cause it's very logistically demanding and expensive, but yeah, I just, live for this stuff now. It's just so fun. Um, are you, uh, are you racing professionally? Or are you, what do you, what do you do for a day job? If not my day job. So my primary job is training peaks and that's endurance software, um, for athletes and coaches. So yeah, that's my main job. And then I also, I saw, I saw gravel getting big. So then I started a coaching company called gravel guide cycling. Yeah. saw that. Yeah. So I got it. So I've got into that and I have about, depending on the season, like 15 to 20 athletes, uh, that that's about as much as I can handle with a full-time job. But I also do lots of training plans. So one thing I like to do is I like to go to events. I like to write big, long form stories that get terrible SEO and low clicks, but people like to read and then I, I write them up. So, (laughs) yeah. So when you say Training Peaks, are you is Training Peaks your business? Do you work for Training Peaks? I work, I'm an employee for Training Peaks. It's not like my business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, they're they're pretty well known. So you are the gravel god. Yeah. Um, which is great <laughs> because I've been looking for you. I've got lots of questions. <laughs> uh, the the first one is: Did you uh, did you go straight to God, or did you have to be like a lesser deity first? <laughs> Honestly, I'm just very into alliterations, and I was trying to come up with a catchy name, and I was thinking gravel. What like did it do like so like soil something gravel? Like what am I going to call it? And then like I was like, oh, gravel got cycling, and I'm like, that makes me sound like such a puke. But I was like, <laughs> I'm like, whatever. Like, I'll just do it's it. It's catchy. It's yeah. catchy. It's yeah. hard to think of a name. Like, when I came up with Bikes or Death, I was so stoked. I had been thinking of names forever. And um, it was just so simple. It's a little it's a little aggressive, you know. But, you know, and then maybe Gravel God is a little excessive. But it's catchy. gets your attention. You know, it's, it's cool. Yeah. There's so many companies that are just like, I don't know fitness cycling or something else. Right. Yeah. Uh, So maybe what you could do is have like stages. Like you start as like a priest and then you work your way up to like an angel. And then like one day you can be a gravel God or something. We need to work on that's a different training plan, I guess. Yeah. I like that idea. I'll have to integrate that. So, uh, so plug your business a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, my audience is, uh, is, is mostly bikepacking, but you even already got one client off of one of my events and I'm sure there's other people out there that, um, yeah, I want to go fast, want to push themselves. So, you know, maybe tell us just a little bit about what you do, what makes you, uh, what makes you a good training coach? 
I think it's best illustrated because of the company I just brought to Red Granite Grinder. Uh, two of my athletes came, and I've only met one of them in person bri- briefly. I didn't meet the other one, but I convinced them to come out and showed them a great time, and we really bonded well and got along. And what I think well, one athlete flatted out, but the other got fourth overall and won his age division um, in the 40s. And he had a great race because it's only his second gravel race. So I think to me, like probably my whole gig is I'm really, I really see cycling as an important part of someone's best life. Just because I think a lot of people these days, like don't push themselves a lot physically and then don't get outside, spend too much time on screens, that sort of thing. So I think there's so many synergies in like getting into cycling even if it's not like you want to be a a gravel guide even if you just want to even if you've just been on the couch and um you see people riding and doing cool stuff um i'm all about that like lifestyle development and making cycling a part of someone's life and i've seen it happen um many times like both of these athletes i mean i think when i got the first athlete forrest he was a firefighter and he was like I don't know, 240 pounds and didn't totally believe in his cycling abilities. And now he's like totally killing it. He's got down to like 175. He's he's changing his whole life around. He's living the van life, traveling to races. His wife's really active. So there's all these like amazing ripple effects as well. Um, Actually, as my athlete pointed out, as Forrest pointed out, he's like, people in my fire crew see me eating healthy, like being more active, doing stuff like that. And all of a sudden they're motivated to be that way. So these network effects, um, they really go out. And as far as like finding meaning in work, I mean, like probably like you, I mean, starting out in high school, I just worked like such crap jobs for so long. And it wasn't exactly apparent that I was bettering the world or making anyone's life better. Um, but here I can really feel it and you can see it. I mean, I get nice comments all the time that are pretty genuine. Like, thank you. you like you helped me make this vision come true. So, um, I, so I have that, like I'm a dad, I've got a full-time job. I'm not super talented, but I like racing. I came to it late. So I know some of those struggles, uh, and I have the training peaks background. So I do have a lot of like science and metrics and knowledge about that stuff. But I try not to make that the forefront. I just try to make it fun. And that's yeah. kind of what I like writing these stories to keep it fun. Like wear your cowboy hat, have a silly business name. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, what you said really resonates with me in a lot of ways. Cause I, I created bikes for death as a way to simply create something meaningful in my life and hopefully like do something good and create ripple effects. Cause I mean, corporate America can just kind of, suck suck your soul you know and so yeah um you know even at this race i got to see quite a few listeners one of the guys like bought a mountain bike two months ago this was his first mountain bike or his gravel race he raced a hardtail uh shout out travis he did the 85 miler first one i mean it's it's incredible you know and um yeah i just love to see it it's so uh enriching to be able to like actually see something good come out of what you're doing, you know, and it just feels good. You know, it's like, okay, this matters. Yeah. Heck yeah. 
Yeah. So we'll plug it. That's gravelgodcycling.com. If anyone yep. wants to go holler at Maddie, go holler at Maddie and uh, and he'll he'll talk to you about how you can be fast. One of my hashtags is pro slow. So you won't get me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. But uh, there's people out there who like to go fast. Yeah. So uh, this was your second red granite grinder. How did you hear about it the first time? And, and what did you? Yeah. How did you hear about the first time? I think I got a bunch of Strava KOMs the summer of 2019. I upset a local and then he invited me to come out for the Red Granite Grinder. His name, <laughs> his name shout out to Lobby Shivani. Um, so Lobby kind of made me aware it existed. And uh, yeah, it's kind of came out last year. Was he also at the race and wanted to like go toe to toe with you? Like what was going on there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's hilarious. He's, um, he's so strong. And uh, just uh, he, his family owns restaurant chain in the area, uh, Blue Willow, which ironically, I eat, well, coincidentally, that's like where I went after like to Sunday brunch um, every Sunday my entire youth, <laughs> <laughs> which I had no idea. Um, but yeah, he's, he's super fast and he kind of likes to talk some smack. So the night before he was like, I'm, I'm writing your name in blood on my forehead. I'm coming for you. <laughs> I can dig it. I can dig it. Might as well make it fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how'd you do that first year? What What was your place, your result? I won the first year, yeah. I won oh, last nice. year. Oh, nice. And yep. it, was, it was 144 that year? Yeah. How was the course uh, the first year to the second? Did you notice much of a difference? Which one did you prefer? I preferred this year. Um, I think the wet... So last year was really nice, but I think I like gravel where it is it's a little bit more gnarly. The snow was cool. The cold was nice. They also added a couple sections, like right after Rib Mountain's extra single track section. So all that stuff was really neat and kind of broke it up. And um, yeah, it just combined to the sense that it's more, yeah, like 144 is hard to ride no matter what surface, but it just made it that extra bit tough. And I kind of like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Shane will be happy to hear that. I'm getting, I'm doing some, uh, surveys for Shane. Nice. So, uh, what was your, what was your goal going into this year? I mean, obviously to do well, but I mean, maybe not goal, but what was your strategy? What is your strategy whenever you're approaching a race like this? Do you let other people make the first move? Do you try to push the pace? Like how, how do you, how do you approach one of these? Well, this is so unique because of Rib Mountain. Uh, there's that pretty significant climb like right off the bat. So this year and last year, kind of my strategy was just go as hard as I can and try to create a selection and assume that some people are going to catch you, but you're going to thin the field down right off the back, which plays well for me because I don't like, like I don't spend a ton of time doing only off-road stuff. Like I, I don't have a back ground in like mountain bike racing it's more road so if i get on a trail packed with other people i have a real hard time like i'm much more nervous i'd rather be like out front being the first person hammering than trying to like stay behind somebody and then i can't see what's going on i might hit a rock or whatever it just doesn't suit me as well so that's always my strategy and last year i don't think anybody even noticed that i went off the front and got a gap for a while this year lots of people knew lobby definitely knew um, and went after me, but by the top, I still had, I still whittled down the field of guys to like three behind me. And then I had a secret weapon because we, 
looked at the weather the night before and we said, hey, the rocks on top of Rib Mountain are going to be slippery. We're going to be in mountain biking shoes. So we all bought yak tracks and put them on. What are those? I guess some kind of grip for your shoe, but I'm not actually familiar with them. Yeah, it's like it's like a webbing with spiral metal spiral around it. So it's just like a shoe cover. You put that on and it just digs in. It's designed for ice. So like as soon as I got off the bike and started running on that, I never even worried for a second that I was going to slip. It was like spidey feet. And that made a huge difference. Um, so I just got a gap. And uh, then my hope was, well, my hope with my athletes was I was going to try to get a gap. And then I assumed I was going to get caught, but hoped that as soon as they caught me, they would counter. And then we would finish, we would break, keep breaking away. And we'd finish with the Beatles playing and angels handing us Miller lights, handing us across the finish line. (laughs) I bet it all went according to plan up until the very end when nobody was (laughs) handing you a Miller light from heaven. (laughs) Everything in between that seemed to have gone pretty well for you. Yeah, it went well for me. Unfortunately, um, my athlete Forrest had six flat, so that wasn't the best day. Um, Whoa. Yeah. What do you think was attributing to that? His tire selection. Yeah. Yeah. He was running. Do we want to, do we want to, what were they? Rene Hurst, uh, Bone, Bone Johns, on Johns. Oh. Yeah. I guess that's a, I don't even know. I, I run the uh, Oracle Ridge and I've heard like hit or miss stuff with the Rene Hurst. I've, Mine have been great. I've taken it back bikepacking and I I was talking, I went on a ride today with my buddy and I'm like, I legitimately cannot remember the last time I got a flat tire. Like I got a hole in my tire in 2019. I plugged it with bacon and sealant and it was fine, but I cannot remember the last time I legitimately had to throw a tube in my tire. Equipment is like so good now. It seems like you're living a clean life, man. I don't know. What I Forrest, am. I don't know what Forrest did wrong, but <laughs> It's well, like send them to my cult. Punishing. Yeah, send them to my cult. I'll I'll fix them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Were you? Uh, Shane told me about a group last year. I guess I think it might have been on Rib Mountain where he was talking about it, where there was an, uh, two different lines you could take. And he said one of the group, like there were some people that went up the night before and scoped out the two different routes to uh, see which one was worth taking. Were you one of those? Uh, we looked, but only, we only walked in like 15 feet and then we're like, ah, we don't have time for this. Cause it was snowing the night before. So we're like, ah, and then we went back down. Um, okay. but I did get the down low because later that night I was, I had some bad shifting on my bike. I'm like running SRAM electronic. And so I was flipping through it and it wasn't working. And so we tested it with battery and I tried to put the battery back on and my derailleur died. So then at like 6.30 at night, I was thinking, I'm not even going to race tomorrow. But I called Rib Mountain Cycles, a local shop, and I just prayed they were having beers after the shop closed. And then this guy picked up and he's like, I'm like, hey, I'm racing tomorrow. I'm screwed. Do you have this trailer? He said, I have one left and I'll hold it for you. So I went in and bought it. And then while we were in there, we're like, by the way, what do you think about the left and the right on this course? And he said, oh, I would go left. So that's, that's what we did <laughs> man you are the gravel god it's like you just like part the sea and it just like opens up for you like bike shop closed not a problem 
Got the derailleur? Sure. Which line do I take? Sure, I got that too. What else do you need, man? <laughs> hey, it doesn't hurt to be lucky. Uh, I had a guest on the podcast, Jacob Laus, uh, and he, it's kind of a long story. I'll try to make it brief, but he he was a, he was about to tap out of a race, and it was a 380-mile race in Arkansas, and you know, one of his issues was resupply. He was in the middle of nowhere, and the place he was trying to get to was closed, and he was like, uh, he made the decision. He's like, I'm going to stick in it. I'm just going to like go and sit at this gas station. I'm going to wait for him to open in the morning. And, you know, I'm not going to be pushing the, because I think he got second overall, you know, so he was, you know, pushing a pace out there. He's like, I'm going to not be, you know, podium or anything like that. And he, so he went ahead and, and went up there and the store owner came back because they forgot something at the store and they let him in to resupply. And then he was on his way and he went on to get second place overall, first place single speed. And sometimes, man, just luck. Luck doesn't hurt. Yeah, luck really helps. Yeah. So how did how did your race go this year? Did it kind of go play out the way that you wanted it to? Yes. Well, I did creepy parallels with last year. So last year on my shakeout ride the day before, my headset broke on the bike and I also went to Rib Mountain Cycles and got that finished fixed last second. Last year I attacked on Rib, got a gap and went away with a small group, same this year. And last year in the Billy Goat Hills, I broke a spoke on the very last Billy Goat where you took that picture and I didn't think my wheel would turn, but I ran to the top and started like going down that next hill and it would, it was kind of tacoed, so it would rub every time. So I hobbled in. So I felt pretty lucky about that. Well, this year at mile 90, I was going through the snowmobile trail and I was coming up to the steel gate and I hadn't pressed my brakes for a while and I pressed both brakes and nothing happened and I just kept cruising. So I had to Fred Flintstone to stop. And I said, <laughs> shit, my brakes are gone. And I tried tightening them down, but I could not get it to work. Met my parents at the top of the course I was looking for pliers to try to cinch them down, didn't have them. And so I'm thinking, at this point, I had a five or six minute lead, but I'm burning up all this time sitting there trying to fix them. Um, so then I'm just like, well, I guess if I just look ahead and like Fred Flintstone put my foot down, I'll stop eventually. I can probably make it back. <laughs> if I win, I don't know, but I can probably make it back and I have a lead, so I might as well try. Hey, man, brakes slow you down. Yeah. Yeah, don't break. If you break, you lose. That's what my. Yeah. Mario Cipollini said new training plan, <laughs> uh, which was great. But after like in the last, I would say with 15 miles ago, I got caught by Hayden and Adam. They, I thought that I was going to be able to cruise in because I, I thought I had a lead. Hayden hadn't brought his tracker. So all the information I was getting was there was just one dude behind. You're fine. But then on one turn, I looked back and I saw two specks rotating in the distance. And I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> wow. They're coming for me. They're going to kill me. And I was so sick of eating sugar, but I smashed two gels. And I'm like, they're going to try to kill me in the billy goats. So I've got to at least try to hang. But that wasn't what I was really worried about. I was more worried about how the hell am I going to make these turns? Like, Because right after the top of the last billy goat goes down Hillcrest, there's that turn. I don't know if you remember, but it's like downhill and then a 90 left. Yeah. I didn't know if I'd be able to fret it. So we got past the last aid station. Um, they attacked. I held on. They attacked again. I held on. Came up to you, attacked, held on. I made it around that turn. We went up Brokaw. 
tack held on. And so then it's just all three of us and it's just a downhill going into town. And I thought, I don't know how I'm going to beat these guys. Like I don't really have any moves, but I am an old man now and have raced some bike races. So I had an idea. The kid was super strong and he was pulling all the time. So, and I was second and Adam was third. And as we're coming up to a downhill, I thought I'm going to pull an old man trick and see if this works. So, so I let Hayden go until he was starting to really pull away. And then I turned back to Adam and I said, Hey, you're just going to let him ride away like that. And then Adam came around me and started going down the hill. I sprinted as hard as I could into the hill, super tucked, went into his draft, popped out going about five miles an hour faster than him and shot down the rest of the hill, looked back. I dropped him. It opened up like a 50 meter gap. And then I pulled up to Hayden's draft and immediately tried attacking him and getting away. But my legs cramped. And then Hayden just pulled up to me and kept pulling. He didn't attack me. He should have, but then he kept pulling. But I dropped Adam. So then I thought, holy shit. I was certain I was going to be third, but now I'm second. I still have no idea how I'm going to drop this kid, though. There's no way. We got on the bike path. It's so curvy. I'm Fred Flintstoning. I'm giving everything just to, like, beat three bike lengths off of him. And all of a sudden, we're go dodging these people on the bike path. We come up to a, a sign that says, go left for the um, for, for Iron Bull. Iron Bull left. Hayden must have not been paying attention and just went straight. And I yelled, but he was going too fast. And so I just put my foot down and went left. And then I thought he was just going to go left because routes in your computer, it buzzes. And I just like casually rode into the finish. And to my utter shock, as I came into the finish, I heard the announcer go, Matty Rowe. Uh, second consecutive year Iron Bowl champion. And I could not believe it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, bummer for Hayden, by the way. I mean, that that's a, I mean, obviously he put in a strong effort and he to have it monster, like man. slip. I heard, I heard about, everybody was talking about him before the race. Like, yeah, he's, he's got a reputation. So absolute monster but i was curious because i when i saw you there was the three of y'all and i was curious how long y'all were working together and what it really was is those two guys working together to catch you yeah how long had you been um off the front in the lead working by yourself since mile 55 or so jesus so you had 80 yeah you had about 75 70 miles or something of just by yourself grinding yeah. it out and, and, and that's trying to fix my break <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i did notice you were one of the I, I didn't see a lot of people with arrow bars was is that part of your strategy were you planning to be off the front and just yeah. tuck down and ride yeah yeah i i've i did i did a unbound earlier this year and it went okay but a bunch of my teammates also did it and they they arrow bars and I was just like, I don't know. When you're kind of alone solo and you can just like get in them for long periods, like A, it's a little bit more arrow and can be faster. But B, also if you ride a long time, you only have like so many places to put your hands. So even for like a resting perspective, just like putting your body in a different position, it's more comfortable. Yeah. Because uh, I get... I get like nerve, I must have some nerve thing going on, but I'll get really numb hands. So if I can get them like that, it like gives me a little break. Man, I am the exact same way. My hands are my Achilles heel, so to speak. And 
Like I just did a 170 mile ride a couple weeks ago and I put the aero bars on, you know, I mean, I, I, I preach comfort first. If you're comfortable, you're happy. If you're happy, you're pedaling hard. I mean, you know, I, we're not usually going 18 or 17 miles an hour averaging on bike packing. And so comfort, if you're trying to be on the, you know, bike for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles, yeah. comfort is huge. And yeah, I, I think I have that same nerve thing going on. That's an exciting race, man. Is that what you love about gravel racing? Is that what you love about racing is those like dynamics, those games that you're playing the whole time and like when it works out and, you know, that old dad or the dad move or what did you call it? The old man move? Old man you know, move. You, you skunked him, you know, you just like skunked him with your wits. That's cool, man. Yeah. 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 You know, like I was saying before, it's a play, you know, just because things go well at the start doesn't mean they go well at the end and equally if things go badly at the start they could go better at the end so that's yeah you know yeah don't give up don't give up and even when you thought you had you thought you were kind of cruising in to woosaw yeah thought you had it all of a sudden you got two two dudes coming up behind you and it's a it's a new thing so it's game on you know it was kind of it was like a dreadful moment but it was also exciting because i was like they're coming to kill me and (laughs) that's good because in some ways it would be kind of like, I don't know. It wouldn't like respect the event enough if there wasn't more of a battle toward the end, I, I would think. Oh, well y'all put on a show. I missed it, man. I missed it. I timed it wrong and I came in like right after. Cause I, yeah, I stood and took pictures for a while and I missed the finish, which was like a, a big bummer. But, um, yeah, the other good finish. Did you see the, uh, the one when I know Jared Lindsmeyer, he came in fifth, I think, and he was in a group of three. And at the same, they were coming down the the center square there through the the gates or whatever, you know, the markers. And uh, there was a family. There was like a dad and I think wife and a little girl. And they were just like, do, 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 do. <laughs> and you see these guys behind them like, do, 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 do. And they're like trying to sprint around the kids and like not kill them, but be respectful. And yeah. did you happen to catch that? No, I didn't see that one. Dude, that was, that was, I got some pictures, but it was like snowing. And so they were kind of out of focus and stuff. But uh, it it's, it's a pretty fun dynamic to see everybody like, coming in and, and making a race of it at the end, you know? Oh man. Yeah. I don't know. I, I honestly get super inspired by so many people out on course. And I, I, when we were overlapping with maybe it was the 50 milers, I definitely wanted to like, um, I was always one to say, have a good race, like keep kicking ass. Cause it is cool. Like there's just anybody who, I don't know, just growing up in Wisconsin, it was, such a, we have such a reputation as Wisconsinites of just like, we'll stay inside and like balloon up and watch the Packers. <laughs> people like just getting stoked about going out in the snow. I was like, yeah, like yeah. This, is, this is what's up. Yeah. Um, these are my people right here. Yeah. It's cool to see. So will you, I think you have to go back next year and defend. I mean, you're a two time champion of this event. So you, you're going to go back next year and give it another run. Heck yeah, man. Gotta. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I think people will be uh, uh, watching out for you next time. So no secrets now. It's no two secrets. times. Is, two times is not an accident. It's just going to be. Um, it's just going to be uh, everyone else in the race trying to hold on to Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he made a name for himself too. I think he's a young kid. I heard he was like twenty, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's got. Yeah, he's got some potential there. Total Very cool. monster. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good for cycling. 
Thanks, amigo. Thanks for coming on and uh, sharing your your thoughts on the race and everything. We don't talk a lot of gravel racing. I think this is the first episode I've ever done with like the about gravel racing, and so it's pretty fun. It gave me like a, a little peek into the gravel racing world. I've done a couple, but I just go ride them with buddies. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to play the games and do all that. It's just, oh, we'll just go ride, you know. And so to actually like get into the the race mode and the race mindset of it was pretty exciting i enjoyed it cool cool yeah well, it was great you came up and i look forward to hearing the podcast yeah thanks buddy we'll go enjoy the family all right right on later uh first question actually first congratulations on women winning the women's 144 category and Thank i you. guess the first question is how are you feeling Ah, good. I, um, well, I finally had lunch today, so I got back into my regular, I swim in the morning, my run at lunch and have the kids tonight. So I don't ride, but finally back in it, just tired for a while. Yeah. Well, so I learned you're a physical therapist. So, uh, if anything, I would assume that you know how to heal your body, you know, how to listen to your body and give it what it needs. So, um, what in your case does recovery look like? Um, usually try and just get some sleep. Um, I, I have, I use a foam roller, so I do a lot of rolling, um, massage and, and I usually, I try to keep actually pretty active. I probably would have been on my trainer just to do some light spinning, but my butt was a little sore. So, um, it wasn't the fact that my legs were, I mean, my, I was actually kind of surprised how, um, how well I felt physically, like I, I yeah. probably could have, but I was just, you know, just muscles were good legs weren't sore but i was just tired um and so but i usually like to do some active recovery um kind of yeah. stuff a little bit of rest but it's been kind of a, a crazy week at work and so i kind of got a little out of my normal routine but it's been good to just kind of actually i normally don't just take days off where i don't do anything um it's probably right. the first time all year where i have um and it's it felt really good running today so it's like okay <laughs> yep we're good you know so yeah yeah, I'm thinking because I man, when I went on uh, the trip to Wisconsin, I had intended there was a gym in the uh, gym in the hotel and, you know, go on some bike rides like I tried to I was like thinking I'm going to stay active and they kept me busy and, and socializing and all kinds of stuff, which was great. But I did nothing uh, for five days and then I got back and I kind of tried to get in my normal workout routine and it's my body it's it's amazing how quickly you lose it you know and so i'm thinking that i like active recovery and maybe like you know two days off isn't as impactful as like if you take five or six or seven days off it's going to take you a while to like remind your body and get back in the swing of it you know yeah yeah and yeah. that's right I, I usually don't like to take too many days off but it's just kind of the way the week has worked for me um, which, which is fine, but now it's kind of, okay, got to re next season's coming. We got to keep, keep up on it because it's easy yeah. to fall out of habits. Go so to you're, event. um, you said it's run, uh, no, sorry, swim, run, ride. It sounds like you're trying to do that almost every day on a pretty consistent so, basis. Um, I swim a couple mornings in, uh, during the week just cause I live super close to the pool. Um, and mornings when I don't have my kiddos, I can get to the pool by five 30 and swim for half hour. Um, just because I love swimming, I used to do a lot of triathlons and did, um, did pretty well at them. 
Um, and so I just, I love to swim. I just, and I use it a lot actually more so for recovery um, just because, you know, on the bike or in the skis, we're always crunched up and just feels good and it's relaxing. Um, and so that's swimming is my enjoyment. Yeah. It's exercise, but it's my enjoyment. Um, and then at work I run, you know, all my coworkers go home, you know, at lunch, we kind of have a, it quiets down in the office. And so it's like, well, I don't really want to just sit here. I don't like to go home at lunch. So I go out for a run anywhere from, I don't know, three miles to six miles, whatever I have time for. So, yeah. yeah. So are you cross training for different types of events? Like, are you still doing triathlons or is that just, yeah, uh, no, I, training? I, I don't do triathlons anymore just because it to like, for me to like train, train, I mean, I'd probably do really well if I were to jump in and do them just because I stay active. Um, my, I run cause I do a lot of cross country skiing and that's kind of my actual, I mean, I love biking, but I love cross country skiing. Okay. Um, and so my Berkey goal is always there. So I run more so to be one, it, it gives me something, you know, gives me a good high heart rate to get ready for kind of ski season. And on nights like today, I'm not gonna be able to ride. Um, it just, I do yeah. something, you know, so, right. um, let's, uh, let's share with the audience what the Berkey is. I, I have to, I'm going to be honest. Like I had no idea what it was. Y'all introduced me to it. I went to, uh, lunch with Jared Lensmeyer yeah. the day after and, you know, his, his, him and his daughter both do it and they're big into it. And I mean, it's a big, big event. So what is the Berkey? Well, I, uh, the Berkey is America's largest cross country ski race. Um, and so it takes place in, it starts in cable or excuse me. Yeah. Starts in cable, Wisconsin and ends in Hayward. Um, and so it's, um, it's an old marathon and it's part of what we call the world. There's a world Loppet series of Birkenbeiners. So it was originally the original Birkenbeiner was in Norway and there's a lot of history behind what it was and, and the, and the Birkenbeiner soldiers and all of that. You I mean, we could talk, I could talk to you about this all day, but I won't. Um, so it's, um, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big deal in the skiing world. Um, and so it's a very internationally recognized event. So, I mean, you go and there's people from all, I mean, a couple of years, we had people, at least one person from every single state. Um, and there's people from multiple countries um, and they all kind of congregate in Hayward and Cable in Northern Wisconsin. Um, and it's, it's a tough, it's a grueling course. You know, you think, oh, Wisconsin, it's pretty flat. It, there, it is not flat. The flattest part of the race is the 2K, you have to ski across the frozen lake. Um, so right. the different techniques, your classic, you know, your standard, you know, what everybody kind of thinks of is cross-country skiing, skis going side by side. And then you have your skate technique, um, which is faster. So, yeah, but it's yeah. it's a big thing. And yeah, Jared, Jared's a phenomenal athlete in general as well. Um, and so it's kind yeah. of a passion and, and we've I've done it for many years. And so, yeah, get pretty excited. I, I want to come check it out now. I, I think the stat that I heard and, and kind of the the story that I heard about it that impressed upon me how big of a deal this was is they, uh, I guess, bring in snow and cover the city street, the whole downtown with snow. And I think Jared said they'll have like 35,000 people. It's huge. Well, it's open to 10,000 skiers. And so you think with every skier, there's usually at least one spectator or two. Yeah. And yeah, so they, they line, you get off the lake and they line the two streets and they actually now build, it's called the international bridge. So they construct a That's wooden right. bridge that crosses four lanes of traffic to keep right. traffic moving on highway 77. Um, and you know, it, it's a big deal. Um, it's a yeah. big event. I mean, people from all over. And I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be getting better and I've, I've done well. I, I used to skate and I skated really well. And then I had 
skied out of the elite wave and I was so excited, but when you ski seven months pregnant, you don't re-qualify for the elite wave. <laughs> so, but I'm finally now, working back to that on the classic technique. I'll, I'll be, I did really well last year. So I'm pretty pumped. Now what's your Berkey number? How many have you done? Um, I think I only, I have 11. I only have 11 of them. Wow. Um, okay. That's a lot. It is, but that I skipped like one lot. year, one year it got canceled. And one year I yeah. decided the second time I was pregnant, I'm like, I'm not skiing pregnant again. I mean, it was cool <laughs> to do, but I'm like, I hate, you know, when you get passed by people who you could feel like you could give them a coaching lesson on the trail, it's kind of mentally hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't need that disappointment in my life. Like why put myself in that position? <laughs> you know, when you're wearing a ski suit and you just look fat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just decided to skip it. Well, nothing wrong with that. I mean, you did it both ways, right? Yeah. You kind of, you, you did it with a kid and then you're like, I think I'll take one off, which yeah. is totally fair. So let's talk uh, gravel racing. How long have you been doing gravel racing? Well, gravel specific racing this year. This is the first year I've, um, I have a gravel bike just because I'm like, well, why not? Everybody else has a gravel bike. Might as well try it. Um, so I did a couple of gravel. I did a gravel ride and a couple of gravel races earlier in the season. Um, I did Bora Epic and uh, gravel drama down in Wisconsin, which is kind of an unofficial race, but it was a grueling ride anyway. Um, so this is like per se from gravel racing my first year. Um, but okay. I've been doing mountain bike racing, cross country, mountain bike racing and single track racing for, um, about 12, almost 13 years. So, you know, yeah. going from like a Schwamigan or like a Lutzen where it's a lot of two track and gravel roads anyway, and, and fire lanes, it's just same kind of thing. You're just on a different bike. So yeah. at least in so my opinion, been... and I don't mean to offend any gravel people, but I, <laughs> I don't know if that does or doesn't. I, I, you know, I don't I, know. <laughs> I, my thing is you're, everybody should be allowed to have their opinion. You know, like I'm, I'm only asking you essentially like when I interview people, I can't expect you to have the opinions of everybody else, right? Like you can only have your opinions, your perspectives. And I, I don't think anybody should hold you to the standard of sharing everybody's opinion in the world. So right. I don't know. You're allowed yeah. to have your opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny on the question when you register, it said your experience with gravel racing. And I'm like, well, I could put inexperienced, but I consider myself a very experienced dirt rider. So, you yeah. know, you know, fun. I can walk my bike. That's too. a tough one. Yeah. yeah. What, what draws you to, uh, are are you mostly like an athlete? Like, it sounds like you've done a lot of racing. What is the thing that really is the primary motivator or driver for you with all the different sports that you do? Um, staying active. Um, you know, I, um, I grew up with, with active tape. I didn't grow up racing, um, but mm. I grew up very active. We always rode bikes. We always skied in the winter. Not, you know, I, I wasn't a great skier, but I loved it. You know, so I think the draw to, to riding bikes and skiing is just year round activity. Um, and you know, and, and fitness and health. I just, you know, I want to be healthy. I want to I work, yeah. you know, you, you see people live really long and what's one common thing is they move. And so I want to be one of those movers. I want to be that 88 yeah. year old guy that I saw on the trail. Oh, I'm getting into skiing. You know, I, I just want to move. And yet the other draw to, to the silent sports per se is just that you're out on a gravel road and it's quiet and there's, there's not people and it's just you or you're out in the trail and it's just you in the woods. And, you know, some of it's just that, that calming effect of getting away from the busyness of life and yeah, racing's fun, but sometimes it's more in the training than the, the race. Yeah. 
What I found is sometimes it's fun to have those, um, like a race can be a motivator. It's a reason to always be training and always being something, but you might get more out of the training than the actual race. Yeah. So, and that's part of too, why I like to sign up for events at different times of the year, because if I don't sign up for something, there's not that motivating factor to continue. You know, I know a few, you know, when my kids were little and it was like hard to get to the trail and you were just tired all the time because they weren't sleeping through the night. It's like, why do we do this? Why do we sign up for the Berkey? Because otherwise we wouldn't ski. Um, And so, especially in the winter, it's cold and it's like, yeah. you get out of work and it's like, oh, this is going to be miserable. But you get out in the woods and it's it's beautiful. You know, so I do early season races. I do end of season races, you know, to kind of keep you going through the seasons. And, right. you know, because you're, you're right. It's easy not to. Yeah, I want to. I've interviewed some people. Uh, people who are a little bit older that have done some really amazing things. And I try to highlight them as examples of, yeah, I think, I think just keeping your body moving, doing lots of different things. I, whenever I work out, I'm all, it's always like with an endurance mind. Like I do a lot of kettlebells and I mean, a lot of like slam balls and I just want to be moving my body and, you know, using it in all kinds of ways. And so it's like robust. It's used to being moved. It's used to being used and, uh, yeah, a good, you like a useful body. Is it like, I think that's the way I kind of, in my mind, that's the way I look at it. So when you were talking about, I just want a body that can move and do lots of things for a long time. That's that, that one resonated with me. All systems work better when we move. Yeah. You and know? that's coming from a physical therapist. <laughs> yeah. So Don't keep moving listen. people. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, we would probably do a whole episode on that. And actually, oh, I know, I, be... I got many soapboxes right in that corner. I know. Anyway. Well, listen, I mean, it's very fascinating. I actually might be fun to do. I think um, it would be cool. I'm going to go on a little tangent. Um, yeah. I, I want to do like specific podcasts, like you know, physical therapy for athletes. I want to do like you know, uh, mental health or, you know, uh, you know, mental training for athlete, like those kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. historically what I've done is just like more one-on-one interviews, helping people tell their stories, listening to other athletes and stuff. But, um, I'd like to do more like specific, specific, specific episode to like topics like that. And so it might, it might be worth chatting if you're interested about doing one, like really for athletes, you know, that could be cool. I, I, yeah. I do, you know, it's, it's a passion, you know, and it's, it's fun when you can, can join, you know, your work and your passion and, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's because it is important. And also, and from my standpoint to, to just let people know that, you know, cause it, it's changing in physical therapy, but the benefits of physical therapy, sometimes people are like, well, it's just for after surgery. It's like, no, but sometimes it's just those little things with recovery. What muscle groups as a cyclist should we focus on? stretching or what what's a couple things you can do after a ride to keep your body from having back pain you know kind of stuff like that so no i more than would love to assist you with that in any way okay let's uh let's just plan on doing it we'll we'll, uh put together like a, a show or something but i i'm not kidding i would like to do that i've actually been looking for a physical therapist to have that exact episode with so yeah <laughs> count yourself in all right i'm game <laughs> so uh was this this is your first year into gravel was this your first time to do the red granite grinder yes it was yeah. Okay. A lot of my team are, are the guys I've ridden with for years. They've all kind of done it, but it just kind of never really worked out in my schedule or I was like, 
that's a long ride. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> well, why did you want to do it? That's a great well, question. Well, this year was, well, I guess I have a free weekend. Why not ride my bike all day? Um, I've been doing a lot more distance racing this year. Um, you know, I did like with doing back-to-back Boras epics. With, so it's a day of single track, like 40 miles of single track. And then the gravel the next day, I don't remember the distance. It wasn't insanely long. Mm-hmm. Um, I did 122 in May. And then did the Lutzen 99er um, in June. Um, always did the Schwamigan 40 and then just was like, well, let's see, you know, I mean, I've been pushing my body this year and been doing really well. I'm like, can I handle it? Let's do it yeah. more of a, and I was going to ride, um, with another teammate and I said, well, I'm free. I'll ride with you. <laughs> Cause he was getting kind of, I don't know if I can keep up with so-and-so. And I'm like, well, I don't have any plans. Sounds good. Uh-huh. So. so was 144 your biggest ride to date? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Ever, it's fun. I think in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when, and when do you get the opportunity and you wouldn't really, a lot of people don't just go and ride 150 miles on the weekend, you know, like it really does take an event, that excitement, having a bunch of other people out there to kind of motivate you to want to do it. You know, it's like misery I, loves company, you know? Yeah. I, I think my longest, well, I guess I could call it gravel, gravel drama in May was 122. And that was, like I said, that was, it was kind of a race, but it was more kind of a training ride. I don't really yeah. like, you know, our group will go up, Hey, we're doing a century. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I think my longest training ride is maybe 50 miles other than right. the Lutzen. And, you know, so I was just like, well, let's see what happens, you know, but yeah. Yeah. So, uh, since it was your first time to see the course, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, I mean, you came from mountain biking, and all kinds of stuff. This had single track and all, you know, really interesting, diverse course. So yeah. What were your thoughts on it? Um, well, I mean, the, I, I, I feel like I was like, well, I could ride the hike a bike. I understand why we had to walk, but it would have been fun to ride. Um, you know, and, and the downhill I've ridden that downhill, um, long time ago, you know, and, and so you can, the logs, you can kind of jump. I mean, Shane puts in a challenging course. I, I don't think the rain and snow helped at all. Um, you know, the single track, you know, in the leaves and it was well-marked, um, you know, and so that's kind of fun, but there you kind of get into, you know, mountain bike mode. So it's a lot easier than some of these guys that are more roadies and getting into gravel. Um, the, the top part, uh, where we were on like the two track and it was soft and squishy, that was a little less fun. Um, (laughs) because, but it was, it was trail, you know, I, I don't know if they were old ATV or ski trail. I don't know what kind of trail they were, but with all the rain, it was, I was kind of wishing I had a wider tire at that point. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I know a lot of these small towns, you know, from just growing up and different teams that were in our conference, like oh yeah I come out by the football field in Edgar it's like oh I've been here you know and then oh we're here you know and then like oh oh now we're you know it's like all this areas you go through it's like holy buckets he covered a lot of ground but um yeah I mean yeah, I, I I thought it was awesome I did a I did a 60 mile ride with a friend and it uh, recently it was her longest ride to date and I said you know 60 miles is a long way like get, get in your car and drive 60 miles and you're like, holy crap, I wrote, you can cover a lot of ground in 144 miles. You see a lot. And I always yeah. think it's interesting to see a place you're familiar with, like via bike, you know, like coming into towns, coming out of towns and you get a much more better feel for like the area, you know, like when you're really immersing yourself in it that way. Yeah. Yeah. A few of my thoughts were, we're like, you know, you're on this soft gravel and you get on the pavement and it was like, God, oh, pavement. 
And then mm-hmm. it ended and it was like, oh, darn it. And then we got in the really soft, squishy stuff. And then we got onto gravel and I'm like, I never thought I'd be so excited to see gravel. <laughs> yeah. I, wa- I think, I don't, I mean, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, but is that one of the, did that enhance your experience? Like those kind of roller coasters of, you know, excitement and, oh, this kind of sucks. And then you get the good again. And then like, did that enhance your experience or was it kind of like, meh? Well, I, I mean, it's good because like I said, prior to all of that soft stuff, I was kind of like, okay, I could use a little pavement here, but then you come to appreciate that gravel again. And you know, it just, yeah. it, it adds to, to, like you say, the experience of, of seeing different places and, you know, hoping you you're following the right signs and, you know, it, it in a sense kind of takes advantage of, of all of the different trail systems that are, are rideable and all of the different yeah. options that we have. And, um, you know, kind of marrying everything together is, is kind of fun to do. Cool. Well, you know, there, there's no way to pick one right tire or one right bike for the course. You're going to be under biking or over biking at different stages. Um, but you've done it now. Uh, anything you would have changed, would you have ridden a different bike? Would you have gone with a different tire? Were you pretty happy with what you had overall? Overall, I was, I was very happy. Um, you know, it was, for me, it was, this is the first race I've done on this particular bike. Um, they built it after I, it was built by the same gentleman that my built my fat bike or the frame. Um, and so it's a Lemire frame and I was supposed to have it early June to do several gravel races on, and I didn't get it in time. So this is like the first time I've actually been able to race on one of his bikes. So it was nice to say, Hey, I got your bike. Here's another first place finish for you. So, um, you know, so that was kind of, kind of fun. And I, I like that bike. I, I mean, it's, it's a really nice, it was really nice when you had to hike a bike to have a really light frame. So uh, it, it's a carbon bike and what size tire did you run on it? To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> Whatever the shop okay. put on, I'm like not always... <laughs> Some of the guys were talking. I'm like, I don't know. I just have whatever the shop put on. They said these will look cool. I'm like, okay, go for it. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, uh, I I can sympathize sympathize with you. I promise you there's been many a times uh, where people ask me about my, like, I don't, I don't know all the parts of my bike all the times, you know, like I, and I don't really care a whole lot. Like I, I'm like, is it working? Do I like it? Is there a problem? If there's a problem, I'll solve it. Uh, but otherwise I don't, you know, it's, it's more of a tool than, a, a an obsession of like, and I think, you know, it's like different personalities. Some personality types are going to get like really into like all that. And well, I just, and I've seen yeah. people get really obsessed over tires and nervous before a race and hurry up the night before and change out tires. And then it rains all night. And while well, you got slicks on and you should have left your knobby, t- you know, so it's like, it, you kind of got, sometimes you just got to go with what you got and either trust it's going to work. Maybe it could have been better, but how do you know that? You know, so it's, it's like you, like you said, that was a new bike. Uh, the whole thing was kind of a new experience. So really you just needed to ride that bike and kind of learn what it does well and what it doesn't. So you probably, I mean, over 144 miles and all that mixed terrain, you probably learned a lot about (laughs) that bike and yeah and it was fun and i was i was glad i did a bike i did a bike fit a couple weeks ago because like all something like when since i had it i'm like it just doesn't feel i don't feel great and i'm really glad we did a bike fit so yeah yeah it was fun yeah so we had the uh we just happened to end up at dinner together uh (laughs) on friday night uh it was kind of funny because the restaurant slash bar we went to is like just super crowded and so i just a group of us cyclists just kind of bunched together and got a table together 
but you were talking about one of your concerns at dinner was um, how because there's different distances, you wouldn't know which women you were actually racing against and how that was going to impact your strategy. So I'm, I'm curious, like what happened and, and how did that all play out? Well, quite honestly, I, um, you're right. I mean, I didn't know how many women were going to be there. Um, I mean, I ride with some strong women and so I, I didn't know which ones were coming or I, I had an idea, but I didn't, you know, know. And, um, I just sort of lined up. I always like, if it's a road rollout, I, I like to ride it at the front. Um, I get as close to the front because I'd rather kind of get past around than be like further back. I, you know, um, just cause I know my comfort. Cause I get, you know, I can, I can go out hard and I get really like jittery and nervous. So I, I like to be where, with, some of those stronger, right. And more stable riders, um, for sure. So I just, hold on, of, hold on, hold on, hold on. How does being, jitter, sorry. how does, no, no, you're, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. Like how does being with the stronger riders calm you down? You know, from a psychological perspective, I would think that would make you more jittery and more nervous. Well, because, so I've been in races where there's been crashes during rollouts, but typically closer to the front, you have your stronger riders that do that more often. And so they tend to be more steady on their bikes. And so okay. they're holding their handlebars, you know, you get into a mountain bike mass start race. And a lot of those mountain bikers aren't used to that mass start. And, and, you know, yes, there's always issues, but they, they tend experienced riders. You know, if you, if you ride in a group or you just, you get used to these rollouts, you hold your lines better. Um, and so you get to a corner and yeah, you still have to break, but you can kind of, you know, people generally follow the lines. And I, I mean, no offense when I say this, but you get further back and, and people are a little more squirmy because it's, it's new sure. or, and, and some people just, I mean, we have guys that we ride with on the road that I don't like to follow because they can't hold a line. Um, and so I place myself differently because it, it, it's just not safe. So I know my nervous levels, I can, you know, I can hold a straight line even when I'm like, feel like I'm shaking crazily, which usually doesn't happen, mm -hmm. but you know, I know I can hold my lines. I want to be around people. And, and I line up also to, you know, I lined up with bunch of guys that I knew and we were just towards the front. So I saw a couple gals, okay. um, that I've ridden with, you know, and, but other than that, I, I didn't really pay attention. I, to be honest, I am embarrassed to say I set the wrong alarm. I wanted to be downtown by six o'clock. I got a text message from a friend at six o'clock saying, Hey, it's wet and cold here in Minnesota. Good luck today. And I was like, it's six o'clock. I just got up and I was like, Oh, I said more than that, but, um, so <laughs> I have never gotten dressed for a bike race so fast. Luckily I was staying at my brother's in like five minutes from downtown, but so my whole morning was more chaotic than I like it to be. I didn't eat enough food. Sure. I didn't get my coffee in. So it was like, I was just not feeling, I wasn't really paying attention to other stuff. Cause I was just not in my normal pre-race. Um, and so it was, I was really kind of not necessarily more nervous for the start, just more nervous for like, crap. I only ate half of my breakfast. I didn't drink my yeah. coffee. I wasn't like in my mental, like, okay, calm. I didn't have as much time to do that. So, um, it was probably yeah, a little, you were in full panic mode the entire <laughs> time. I mean, all of your timelines are thrown off and you can't be anything but panicked and trying. Yeah. I can't did believe I, I did that. Did, and I'd, I'd been yeah. laying in bed for hours since like two 30, just, Oh, when's my alarm going to go off? When's my, do you think I ever checked my alarm? Anyway? <laughs> so, um, I really didn't pay attention to the women around me. And to be honest with the rollout, we got to, we got going, got to the boardwalks. I mean, I, I feel like I was pretty far up, um, up ahead with the rollout. And then, uh, we had a little bit, the cop car turned one way. So we had a little bit of a detour kind of joined back together. The boardwalks were ice. Um, but I, 
once I got start climbing on, I passed one gal climbing up Rim Mountain and that was all I saw. So um, I just, I, and at that point it was like, I'm just going to ride. My, I wanted to finish. If I did well, great. Um, I just wanted to ride and, and see what I was capable of. But like I said, I, I did not, I was, I was a bit frustrated with myself. Um, I did not have the morning I wanted to have. And I definitely yeah. think it did impact my riding because I would have liked to have done, been a little bit faster. Well, you still got the W. So, I mean, it, one thing you take away from that is, yeah, you didn't have the morning. You came in not prepared and just not a good mental place. Uh, and you were still able to perform, perform really well and take the W. So, you know, that there's some positive takeaway there. Yeah. But, uh, dude, I, okay, so I have to tell you, to make you feel better, I don't want to admit this, I I was supposed to be on stage that morning, like giving like a, a little speech, like a little like go team go. And I I uh, set my alarm for p.m. and not 8 a.m. 8 a.m. And so like I woke up at seven whenever the race was starting. I like I so I woke up in the exact same panic mode. I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> oh, man, it was so so uh, you and I were actually on the same page. And so I can definitely sit there must have been and something I spent, in the beer the night before there must it might have been in the beer. It was a uh, red eye brewing uh, red eye brewings fault, right? That's a yeah. brewery, which is I, I would to. say one of the best restaurants in Wausau and they have got pretty yeah. good beer. So anyway, we had a great dinner. It was a wonderful dinner and they uh, yeah. released a new beer that was great and stuff. So uh did you know that you were in the lead during the whole race like i guess did I, you just have i had a general idea that i probably was but i didn't really know once we got to we got to the aid station at 100 miles um and that's when um oh shoot shane's wife what's her name i can't uh, think of pamela. her name pamela that's when pamela said that i was the first one through so but i had no idea you know at that point you kind of check back behind you i'm like well is somebody coming like is there anybody yeah. else behind me? You know, so I didn't know where, you know, I had no gap spaces or anything like that. Um, but it, yeah, note to my, my parents next year when they were friends that track us, cause we all had to carry that tracker, um, would be like, Hey, there's another girl coming behind you, <laughs> you know, cause the text yeah. messages come up on the garment. And actually that's the other thing. I'm like, I could have used some motivational text messages while I was writing, you know, you knew I was yeah. there, you know, keep going, yeah. you know, and that would have been nice. <laughs> Yeah, those actually help a, a ton. And yeah, getting those little cues because you don't want to be checking the tracker while you're out there. Right. So uh, what is your personal comfortability, your comfort level with kind of being where you think you're in the front, but you, you know, you don't know if someone's making a, a strong pull on you from behalf, on back, like how comfortable were you in that position? And what was your kind of strategy? Um, well, I was, you know, um, I've had, I mean, I've been in races where you do well and it's like, you gotta, you get that little bit of a push. I did one a few weeks ago where I had no idea I was in first place. Um, even when I crossed the line, it was kind of funny. The gal, they announced my name and then this gal comes up to me. She's like, I got to take your picture. And I was like, okay, I think you're first. And I'm like, you <laughs> think, <laughs> you know, so sometimes it's, it's nice when there's spectators to say kind of where you're at. Um, because yeah. it gives you that little bit of push. Others, you don't know if you're further ahead, you're further behind, you know? So, I mean, I, I, I again, I just, I rode and I'm like, okay, I got to save a little bit. Cause if somebody does come up, I, I know I, I got to have a little bit for that gumption, you know, the last couple of miles, if I have to push, there's a lot of climbing in the last 10 miles. So I'm like, okay, right. 
where, where are my limits? What am I at? Um, and so I, but again, I, I didn't really know. So I just sort of tried to stay consistent throughout the whole ride. Um, and, you know, and, and stick with, with the people, with who I was riding with just to, again, stay, be consistent and, and just yeah. keep pedaling, you know? So when, when you do that, are you looking for other riders that are to work with? Uh, like what is your strategy with, uh, well, with the like plan- working with other riders? The plan was we had four of us and we were going to ride together. And then one of the gentlemen's water bottles broke on the top of Rib Mountain. It just fell out and cracked because it was cold and it was rocky. Um, so then we had kind of slowed up at a water stop and we, the two guys in front of us, I don't know if I didn't communicate loud enough or whatever. And they kind of kept going and we weren't able to bridge back up. Um, and so, you know, we, we rode together. Benefit too is apparently I loaded the route to my Garmin, but it, wasn't there on the start line. So I'm like, ah, sorry. <laughs> so we, we rode all most of it together until like the last little bit. And I said, yeah, I go, I, I'll be able to find it. Cause once the 85 mile course pulled off, there was, I mean, there really wasn't a lot. I would, I would have been done if I was on my own. I, I would not have finished because I did not have all the route. So it was, our strategy was yeah. just to ride consistently together. Um, and hopefully, I mean, it would have been nice if all four of us could have stuck together. Um, but we all finished pretty close together anyway. So, um, yeah. and we had, you know, we had a couple of gals doing some awesome swag or um, not swag, um, shag wagon for us. So they had, you know, a couple spots where we'd meet up and okay, grab more food, switch out water bottles. Um, and they were at a couple of places. And so that was immensely helpful in addition to the other, um, water stops. Yeah. I'm picturing you out there without a Garmin file, you would have been, um, like just looking for tire tracks, like, you know, uh, like, Oh, yeah, where do and I then, go? You <laughs> know, and then you add hours looking for tire tracks and yeah. So it, I, I probably, that would have been the, the call my dad, come find me. <laughs> yeah. So your longest ride, 144 miles, it came in first place. Like how did the body feel? How did you feel, uh, with that effort? I, you know, I was, I was surprised how I felt. I honestly was, was disappointed with how I felt overall. I, usually I like I would have liked to have felt stronger um I you know it was it was kind of a rough week for me with just other life and work stuff and so I didn't mm. feel as well rested um and then yeah the fr- the panic of the morning um but yeah I mean I I was I was surprised I I was tired and um consumed a lot of caffeine um and a lot of <laughs> you know throughout you know more coke than i drink in a year i don't not a soda drinker but i'm starting to like it during races but you know so i i mean yeah i was physically tired but i was pleasantly surprised with how well my body did do yeah it just speaks to you got uh i mean not really room to grow but it sounds like more like you have the opportunity to kind of come into races and events uh in a better situation uh, a little more calm a little more well prepared and yeah, uh, probably better is, well, I don't know. You can't get it better than first. I guess I guess you go faster. <laughs> yeah, faster. It'd be my goal for next year or as someone so, said, defend my title. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that was my next question. Uh, will you be back to defend your title? Well, probably they sent me an email today. They, and, um, there was some confusion with awards, so I have an entry for next year. So <laughs> I guess so. Nice. Well, good, good. And I, I mean, and- you got to. And yeah, good. I want to do it, but I also want to do better because like I said, I, yeah. I want to, I, I want to feel better with my own performance. I mean, I'm, I'm pleased with how I did and I'm excited that right. I could finish it, but I, um, I'd, I'd like to do it again and, and try that, try, you know, see where I can end up. 
It's always a measuring stick, hopefully, against ourselves. And we're not taking, like, the other people as seriously. Yes, it's nice to win and all that. But it's, like, you know, being honest with yourself about, oh, could I do better? Or, damn, I did really good and I feel great or whatever. But just that kind of, um, yeah, that internal measuring stick of, of where you want to be is hopefully the most important one. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you very much. I'll let you go hang out with your kiddos. I appreciate yeah, you, you taking too. the time. Uh, I had a great time meeting you and hanging out in Wisconsin. Everybody was great, and I enjoyed uh, my experience. Sounds like you did too. Yeah, I did. It was it was pleasant to meet you on, on Friday, and I who'd have thought we'd still be chatting. Um, I know <laughs> the awesome. stars align. So, and yes. let's do it again. Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much, Patrick. All right, Maria. All Take right. care. Bye bye. You too. Bye. Well, uh, Shane, we're sitting here in your house uh, the day after the Red Granite Grinder. And uh, first off, I would really like to thank you for the hospitality that you've shown me. I appreciate you bringing me out here. I appreciate you putting this on my radar. We went out to dinner with your family. Really uh, good having you here. Yeah, man. I mean, the you know, really, the um, I want to give a shout out to Alex and Iron Bull and just everybody um, who I was able to meet. This has been an absolutely enriching experience. Everyone has been just so kind, so uh, accommodating and friendly. And it's been a really great experience for me. And I appreciate you uh, being a part of that and bringing me out here. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for coming out. Absolutely. So uh, how are you feeling now, stress level, anxiety level wise, as opposed to how you were feeling maybe two days ago? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a lot better. So it's kind of the calm after the storm. <laughs> yeah. How many yeah. people did you have uh, sign up? Um, 360-ish. I don't know the exact numbers, but because we had some that came in um, the last minute. So wow. it might have been even a little more than that. That's but, crazy. But then there was a few that didn't start. So... I would say around 350, 360. Okay. That's a lot. How yeah. many, uh, what was the most you've had prior to that? Uh, just over 300 last year. And so this is our fourth year doing it. And um, the 2019 year we had 100. So we're gaining a lot of ground and with um, registration. So that's good. Yeah. What do yeah. you think is driving that? I think uh, word of mouth right now is driving it. Um, definitely getting... Uh, further out with like the podcast and is helping and um, we're trying to use different media outlets to get the word out. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, there was quite a few people I met who uh, heard about us on the podcast and came out uh, because of that. And yeah, so that was really cool because um, now everybody tells me, oh, you like rivers. I know you like rivers now that I heard the podcast. So, <laughs> I don't even remember the rivers part, but I guess yeah. I guess you emphasize that pretty well. Right. It just kind of stuck with people. It's just one of those things that now I'm known for, I guess. <laughs> I was talking to uh, your friend, it's Chris, right? Chris Schatz? Yep, Chris yeah. Schatz. And uh, he was telling me that you have a love for sand. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it's the beach. You really, it's that you mix the water with the sand and you like the, the yeah. beachy vibe. I don't really know. Yeah, I do. Because, um, you know, I have a fat bike, so I do like to use that um, in the summer too, you know. Yeah. It's nice to get that out. And um, fat bikes are great on the sand, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 
What are what are some of the things like leading up to the race that you as the race director, like what keeps you up at night? What do you worry about? Um, pro- like if everybody is going to be happy at the start, if if um, all these land sections are going well. I, one of the things that I kind of worry about is when I take it around some farmer's cornfield, what if they're harvesting at the time? Because some of these cornfields, like the landowner owns it, but they rent it out to a larger farm and they kind of have no control over if they're going to be harvesting at the time. So that's kind of one thing that I worry about. Obviously, the safety safety of the racers. Okay, is let's something. pause. Let's pause okay. on the tractors real quick. Or <laughs> yeah. the, the the you know. So, what does that look like if they are harvesting when the race is going on? There's just a lot of really large equipment uh, coming through combines with heads on them that are as wide as the road. And I'm talking about the gravel roads, not their their little farm access roads. And then they're hauling in uh, a lot of the big farms use semi trucks to um, transfer the the crop into the semi-truck and haul it back to the farm. So there's semi-trucks going in and out of that uh, cornfield. Okay. So would those uh, pe- the people doing the harvesting really would have no idea there's a bike race going on? Yeah, right. Okay. So it's just, it's a, it's a potential safety issue where cyclists need to be aware. Do you, do you let people know, or would you even know that that's going to be happening? Well, um, I might not know that's going to be happening, but, um, the landowner should kind of get an, uh, information from those farms that they are going to be harvesting. So I'm hoping if that ever does happen, that, that information gets transferred to me. How much of the route could be potentially impacted? Obviously, it wasn't this year, yeah. uh, but but just in general, like how much of the route are we talking about here? There's two sections that I kind of keep in mind right now, and they're they're like half mile long sections. Okay, yeah, so it's not a big deal, but it's something that all of a sudden I would have to go out there and uh, remark the course and move it right. quickly. Right. So uh, safety, obviously, yes. Uh, a big, I think for me as a race director, I can't imagine it's not on everybody's top of the list is safety. Yeah. So that's just something that always weighs on, I'm sure every race director as it does myself. Yeah. And this year, do we have any issues, any reports? No big issues other than some just scrapes and bruises. From, from, accidents caused self-inflicted accidents yeah yeah (laughs) one guy came in he had um the very last guy that came in on the 144 he came in at 848 and our cutoff for the uh the the cutoff line is nine o'clock so he came in uh eight minutes or no 12 minutes before the cutoff line and he takes off his helmet he has blood running down his forehead and I said, oh, man, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I took a fall at mile 10. I'm like, mile 10? Yeah, coming down Rib Mountain, down the grade. He said he was uh, he got on it a little too much coming down the grade and went over the bars. Okay. And he was on a solid bike for that hill. He was on a Fargo. I think he had like 2.6s on it. Wow. Well, I didn't get a chance to see Rib Mountain, unfortunately, other than, I mean, I saw it, but I didn't get an up close and personal view, but I did hear a lot of reports about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was slick 
that so i mean it probably just hit like a bad line or something like that right yeah because coming down off the mountain you're riding a um it's a wide hiking trail that comes from the quarry the quarry is at the top of the mountain and it's an old abandoned quarry and the um the path coming down is as wide as like a two track path in the woods but you're going down at a pretty good um elevation grade and there's railroad ties that to help prevent runoff and so you gotta like hop those railroad ties at the same time Mm -hmm. so that adds the extra challenge so one thing that i was hearing about that i wanted to get clarification on or just out of curiosity is my understanding is the way you're accessing rib mountain is a special use and a certain portion of it has to be hiked you can't ride your bike. Yes, that's correct. Can you walk me through what? I'll, I'm just curious. Like, what is that? It's uh, it's hiking trails all year long, and um, we nobody had ever had access to biking on Rim Mountain in the past, and we were the first to be able to do that, which we're really proud of, and hoping that that um, foot and door helps us get even further with more access on some trails up there. But um, the first few years, we had one single line that people had to hike down. This year, we had a two, we had a, two different paths. We used two different hiking trails, and we labeled it as choose your own adventure. And it was like a Russian roulette, and each uh, racer had a choice on which line they could choose. Well, some of the race teams that were smart about this went up there hiking the day before and figured out which line was the best to use. Smart. To me, it's not that big of a difference, but um, these guys, I mean, they, they want to get the best leverage they can. Yeah. So one thing I was confused about is you you have to like hike up Rib Mountain, but you're allowed to ride down it? No, we uh, ride up the road that leads to the top. Mm-hmm. And then there's some trails at the top, some hiking trails at the very top that are in very um, rocky areas where you have to kind of shoulder your bike anyway in, on some of those sections. And they want us walking it because they're afraid of the erosion um, causing problems and it's and with the rockiness of it it's very difficult anyways to ride it and then once we get to a certain point where that it kind of levels out and then goes downhill then we can mount our bikes and start riding down so essentially you're still on a hiking trail but you've negotiated this is a state park yes this is a state park you've you negotiated with the land manager to okay at this point you can start riding and that's okay correct Interesting. Yeah, and we've built a really good relationship with the land manager. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's been really good. It's so important. I know for my own race, like keeping the, you know, for me, it's the Forest Service, the U.S. Forest Service people happy is Mm -hmm. uh, paramount to what we're trying to do because having access to those public lands and those unique, you know, special land use things, they're they're special. Yeah, and and, uh, and really it's no different. Uh, working with the land manager up there and working with the private landowners, you always want to keep that relationship um, good. And one of the things that we're going to do in a in a month and a half is we're going to have a banquet dinner for all the people that are um, associated with um, helping us out, like the landowners, the volunteers, 
uh, the companies that do donate to us, mm-hmm. and they're all invited, oh. and a lot of them show up. Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so what do you all do for them? Just throw it's, a dinner? Yeah, just a dinner at the Hilton. Yeah, and that's such a good idea. Yeah, yeah I love that. Y'all are really, uh, I mean, you're putting on a really damn good event. Um, it's so well organized, and the route... I mean, what we're just talking about, that one example of that one relationship, um, how many how many of those special land use uh, sections are on the route? Do you know offhand? Like how many private land sections do we have? Well, private, but the state land, the, I don't know about that <laughs> hiking trail at mile 50 that we were on or the running trail and the different, you know, uh, private land. Like how many different relationships are you having to make, maintain, uh, and coordinate with every single year to, to host this it's, event? It's close to 20. I don't have the exact Jesus. number, but yeah, wow. that's, it's a lot of people that we have to communicate with throughout the year and make sure that we have access to the one that we really have to work on is the one up North in the, um, 144 mile section. And that's the one you were, um, riding with me. You were driving along in the car with me when I was riding on the Thursday Thursday group ride. Mm-hmm. And that section is so extremely important that we um, keep good relations with that landowner. There's six of them, actually, six landowners that connect between. Otherwise, we have to add, I think, like close to 20 miles to okay. go around that. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think I think that's what really, really, really sets this event apart from, you know, me. I don't know what I would call like a traditional gravel race. Like this is a gravel race, but it's mixed terrain. There's mandatory hiking. There's sections that are single track. There's, um, I don't know, all kinds. I didn't even get to see the whole course, but I know from talking to the riders that, um, I, you know, first of all, I will say that, you know, I talked to a lot of the people that were there at the finish line and just during the race when I was doing photography, people, some people would stop and chat with me and, uh, I heard nothing but good feedback. I heard people that really enjoyed the variety of terrain. Um, and you were spoken of very well. People appreciated the, um, all of those interesting, uh, dynamics to this course and, uh, you get a lot of credit for, you know, seeking out. I mean, first you got to have the idea, you got to find the places, then you have to convince 20 different people to make that happen and maintain those relationships. It It's not easy. And, no, it's not. It's not at all. Yeah. But um, it's worth it in the end for to see people's smiles coming in the finish line and hear stories about how great, you know, one, one of the greatest um, sections or a lot of uh, people talked to me about the corn maze section and loved it. And people signed up for this race just for that section. And that was amazing to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That corn maze section sounds cool. I wish I saw it. There, I, yeah, it's hard not to see the, uh, the whole thing. I, when I was doing yeah. my photography, I, I don't like to just stay in one spot because I'm looking to kind of hopefully tell the overall story of the event and have different compositions. And, you know, so I think I, I got around pretty well and, and saw a good majority of it. And then kind of I was well informed from the racers, uh, you know, what sections they like, what they thought about it. Another thing that I think is cool is uh, that makes this route 
fun and more dynamic is there is no one right bike. There's no one right tire size. You're going to be over biking at some point. You're going to be under biking at some point. And, and you know what? That all goes back to my bike packing roots. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you go bike packing, you can take any bike you want. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean you can take any bike you want? You can take a fat bike. You can take a mountain bike. You can take a gravel bike. Yeah. And, yeah. and the terrain I want to cover is stuff that I would put in a bike packing route. <gasps> Sil- <laughs> please, audience, uh, silence your cell phones. We forgot to mention that at the beginning. <laughs> Just kidding. That was, oh, I don't care. <laughs> what else? Oh, yeah. What was your, what was the feedback that you got from, uh, from the racers? What did you, what were you hearing? I was hearing uh, really good things. Like I said about the corn maze, I, uh, the section that I added this year with the, past the speedway, the racetrack, uh, that section People loved it or hated it. <laughs> was that was that the dirt speedway? No, or a it's different a one? it's a blacktop speedway. Oh, is but, it? Okay, but yeah, you go around the speedway and onto the snowmobile trail. That um, it, it and it restarts climbing Red Mountain again. So you come all the way down Red Mountain only to start climbing it again on private land on the backside of it, and then there's a big log that I left on the trail at, as you reach the summit or almost reach the summit, then you got to get off your bike, climb over that log, only to walk a little bit further to reach the summit. And then you exit out onto a blacktop road. But um, exiting out on that blacktop road is a quarter mile of pretty sloppy mud right now. I mean, it's like greasy mud. It's not deep. I heard uh, one person say that they, I don't want to name any names, uh, anywhere, but a, a well-experienced racer who has entered a lot of different gravel races, and uh, they said that this was by far the the best one that they'd ever ridden. Yeah, yeah, I hear I hear that over and over again. I hear people going down to um, down south to Unbound, and they like this better for the scenery. And yeah. I don't want to throw un, Unbound under, <laughs> but I mean, because Unbound is great. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we. I mean, we really do want diversity of experiences, right? right? We don't like unbound is unbound. You don't want to create another unbound. No, mine is, mine is its own type of race. Yeah, absolutely. No shade. I mean, that's, that's kind of, that should be the fun is having options of different terrain and courses and, and, you know, there's all kinds of people and there should be all kinds of experiences and opportunities to kind of match that. And so, I, I I think I just man I love the outside the box thinking that that's going on here and uh, I don't know man I just my hats off to you because I I know actually I don't know I have a I have a small glimpse and a window into how difficult it is to uh, build a route like this and maintain those relationships and I can't imagine that. Yeah, you're not feeling other anything other than being pretty uh, relieved and stoked at this moment to have 350 plus people go out and hear nothing but positive feedback. Yeah, and when we do our racer surveys at the end, we hear nothing but positive on those racer surveys. So that's really important to us too. That yeah, that racers do fill that out. I, yeah, that's that is hugely important to me too. Like I, I want to know. 
Mm-hmm. I want to know what was good. I want to know what was bad. And that allows me to do better next time. Right. Right. So in that vein, uh, what, if anything, do you think you might change for next year? <laughs> I always have tons of stuff in my mind. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say those things because I don't know what I can make come true sure. or not or happen. But I have lots of ideas. Are those ideas spurred by feedback you're receiving or just your own desire to keep mixing it up and making it unique in different ways? Um, I would, I don't have any ideas right now that are spurred by feedback. A lot of the stuff is just in my mind. This is what I want. I want to do this, but I got to make, I got to look for the right situation to make this happen. Right. Or, you know, look at satellite maps and stuff like that. So. Are you um are you wanting to kind of mix it up every year and have the route be a little bit different, or are you just kind of seeking the perfect route? And once it's perfect, you'll leave it alone. I kind of want to leave this one alone, but add different uh, variants off of it. Like this year, I added the two, like on the eighty five and the one forty four, I added the two private land sections that um, shortcutted like uh, ninety degree corners and roads. Only, you know, to have you go onto private property. The road's still the same, basically, but you're going on private property instead of roads mm-hmm. along that same lines. Yeah. And then the, the corn maze section, obviously, was um, something that I I did have that in mind for uh, quite a few years. So I'm really glad that I was able to make that happen this year. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, by all accounts... You didn't lie to me when you were bringing me up here. You were telling me uh, good things. I didn't think you were lying to me, but uh, I, I got to see it firsthand. The area is beautiful. The route is challenging, but fun. It's different. It's uh, It's got its own special twist on it. And you can only experience that at your race for all the reasons that we talked about. So, I mean, congratulations to you for hosting a great event and, uh, and thank you for, you know, making this event, uh, available, like this opportunity available, not just to myself, but I mean, you know, hundreds of people that came and got to experience this. So, right. You know, thank you. you. Thank you for that. And yeah, like, uh, this year I want to say too, that we had 13 States come out here all the way from, we had two or three people from Washington state here. Wow. So, um, we feel pretty proud of that right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And as the word goes out, people are just going to be coming from further and further. Right. And that's just going to be, you know, you get your first international one I yeah. bet soon, you know, I mean, that's just, that's right. cool. That's cool right. to reach so many people and, uh, get them, uh, give them an experience. Like let them experience your backyard and, and see what you see. It's always, always neat. I know you mentioned that you're going to be headed to the Danger Birds. So what do you got going on there? So, yeah, I'm going down to the New Mexico Bikepacking Summit and I'll be doing the Danger Bird. But um, I'm also going to have a table set up there for Iron Bull. So if anybody wants to um, come and talk to me about the Red Granite Grinder, they can come and see me at the table at uh, on Friday. Yeah, the that's the Maker's Workshop or what yeah. does he call that? Yeah, something? I think it's something like that. Yeah. yeah, I you know I was there last year. Um, Matt does an inc- that's another just very well done event. He's got yes. a lot of community support. Um, it's so well done, and and that uh, Meet the Maker. I think that's what it's called. Meet the Maker. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
it was so well attended, you know, it's right. just a lot of bike people having bike chats and it's, I said it, at, you know, on the stage when I got up, you know, the first, I fell in love with bikes first and then I fell in love with the cycling community. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where I go, but the cycling community is, is just an amazing group of people and it's the same at the danger bird. So mm-hmm. I am, I'm unfortunately not able to go this year. I really wanted to be there, but that weekend i'm going to be um claire panisha that runs the truffle shuffle in in oklahoma um she's bringing me out to help her run that event and then we're making a trade because i i was like i'll go do yours but you got to come help me with mine so she's coming to the east texas showdown to kind of help me and be on my media team uh, for that (laughs) and um so i'll be there that weekend so unfortunately i won't be able to like hang out with y'all but yeah yeah, come yeah come say hi to shane man here hear about the uh, red granite grinder and and also i mean talk to shane about all of his bikepacking routes and everything going on up here because i know you got a lot uh a lot of options right yeah because i do want to talk to people about bikepacking too down there it's not just the grinder but um yeah speaking of matt he does he does such a great job down there with how how fast he's grown that so shout out to matt how how awesome he's he yeah. is doing down there awesome things he's doing yeah Matt is Matt. He's a leader. Uh, I think. I think what appeals people or attracts people to Matt, if I had to guess, at least it does to me, is his just raw authenticity. How open he is about what he's doing and what biking is to him, and uh, and in his own unique approach. Again, he's doing he's doing it his way, and and that variety and uh, really appeals to people. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what we're doing up here, doing things a different way. And, and that's kind of what people find appealing about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, congrats, man. You can, uh, rest easy i don't know i mean i I know like after a big event and it's over and everybody's safe and everybody had a good time it's it's just nothing but a feeling of elation and and relief you know Yep. So yeah, in a little bit here, I'm going to be going up to the north end of the 144 and picking up signs up there. So I'll be excited to see what kind of stuff, uh, what kind of tracks they left up there. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good, man. Well, appreciate it. I'm headed back to Texas. All right. Have a great flight back. All right, everybody. Thank you for being here and thank you for tuning into today's episode. As we peek over the fence into the world of gravel cycling and gravel racing, I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed hearing from other cyclists doing a similar thing, maybe in a different way than what I'll do. I mean, I'm never going to be at the front of a 144-mile race, and it is pretty fun to hear what it takes and just hear about the course and, and all the things. So, What a great area. What a great group of people. I had an amazing time and I appreciate everybody over over at Red Granite Grinder for bringing me out. And uh, if you miss this year, you might want to put it on your bucket list for next year. Even if you're not going to race it, get out there and ride it because it's the only time you'll be able to check out that course uh, and have access to all those special land uses that we talked about. All right. Well, if you've been worried that I'm turning into a gravel racing podcast, don't be afraid. Our next episode is going to be with Ernie Lechuga, who just set a brand new FKT on the Arkansas High Country Loop. The last FKT was set by Ted King back in 2020. Again, another gravel racer making his way into bikepacking. 
And it took a couple years and a couple attempts from many riders. Uh, Ted put up a very, very strong effort, and Ernie had to dig deep to find a way to take that FKT away from Ted King, and he was able to get it done. And on next episode, we're going to be going into what it took, where Ernie went in his mind and in, in his body to pull out that amazing effort. All right, everybody, I am sorry for the delay in getting episodes out to y'all, but it is good to be back in the podcasting seat and getting these episodes out to you lovely people. Until next week, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes for death. Bikes for death. Podcast.